Just because a building has the word church on it doesn't make it a church. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about what the real church looks like. And spoiler alert, we're not talking about buildings and organizations. But the real church is so much more. The real church is worth fighting for, and it's something we need in our lives. You are not going to want to miss this conversation because it is a fantastic one. But hey, before we jump into today's episode, I want to thank our two sponsors for this episode, Rob Scott and The Forgiveness Link, who in as little as eight sessions can help you transform your life and leave your trauma behind in ways that you would never imagine. In as little as eight sessions, they can really change your life. And I know that because I've had a session with Rob I have been around what he does. Rob Scott and the Forgiveness Link, that team is a bunch of mental health wizards and they want to help our audience. They want to help every single one of you who is dealing with church hurt, religious trauma, and is ready to leave it behind. So you can go to disrupted.church, click on the sponsors link, the partners link, and you'll find more information about Rob and his team. But if you're not ready for therapy or you're not ready for something intensive like what the forgiveness link does, then maybe you're ready just to start somewhere by taking a positive step. And that's what the East Tennessee Mentorship Association is for. Dustin Stitt and his crew at East Tennessee Mentorship, they're here to help you heal. They understand religious trauma. They understand spiritual abuse, but they're here to help you heal no matter where you're at or what step you need to take, okay? Whether it's a little step or a big step, they're helping people walk out of that trauma. They're helping people step into their best lives and their best futures every single day. So thank you so much to the Forgiveness Link and to the East Tennessee Mentorship Association for sponsoring this podcast. You can find out more information about both sponsors at disrupted.church and click on the sponsorship and partnership tab. But hey, we're ready for this episode. And if you're ready to go with us, let's jump in to this episode of Church Disrupted. All right, guys, welcome back to Church Disrupted. Uh, we are so glad you're here. I'm your host, Jeff Cochran, and today I've got with me um, two people who I am really excited to have on the podcast. I've got Buck and Abby Fleming. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yep. It's been a while. We've done quite a few episodes. You guys have been on our host list from the beginning, and we just hadn't been able to work it out to get you here. So I'm really excited for you guys who are watching to be able to get to know Abby and Buck. Um, Abby, I haven't known you that long. I've known Buck for a while, and uh, every time we get in a conversation around these topics, it's like a couple of hours of gold. Or it's only less than that because we have to go, and we want to mm -hmm. continue the conversation. So um, I think you guys are going to love them. going to be a great conversation today. We're talking about what the real church looks like. Um, not church just because it's an organization, um, not, you know, the multi-site mega church or the evangelical church or this church or that church. We're talking about what the real church, the people of God look like when they're being the hands and the feet of Jesus. And uh, this is really going to be kind of a cool episode because in a lot of ways it's a celebratory episode. Um, of course, we're going to call out some of the things where we're like, you know, when a church does this, that's not really what Jesus was wanting. This is what he was wanting. Um, but this is going to be an episode where we call out less people and instead we're looking more to celebrate the real church where it happens. And, uh, man, we want to see more people step up and just look like Jesus, act like Jesus. 
because even with the hurt that I've experienced from the church and, you know, over almost two decades of ministry, um, we've had some really bad church hurt, you know, in the last year. Um, but even with that, our mm-hmm. ties to the church, the way the church has shown up for us, that's only grown. That's only gotten better, but it's been less the organization of the church and more just the people, the body, the living organism. So we're talking about that today, what the real church looks like. I think you're going to love this episode. But before we jump into the episode, I want to thank you. Everybody who's watching right now, you're listening. It doesn't matter where you're watching, where you're listening, whether that's YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or somewhere that I've not said, and I don't even know where the podcast is at. We're just glad that you are supporting us. Thank you. And we pray every single episode that this is helping you, that this is serving you, and that you're being entertained, that you're enjoying it. Um, But also, outside of those that are listening to us, I want to thank our disruptors, our catalysts, our table flippers, everybody who's a part of our community. Um, Without you guys, without your support, we absolutely couldn't do this. And we have a lot of fun. It's been really cool getting to know you guys um, over the week so far. If you haven't joined the community or you said, hey, I didn't know you guys had a community. If you want to find out more information about that, you can go to disrupted.church. All the information is right there. And then a special thanks, every single person who's given on PayPal, Cash App, Venmo, you guys are the real deal. Y'all are some of my heroes. Um, we're able to upgrade the podcast. We're able to keep the podcast going because of our community members and because of those gifts that y'all are given. So thank you a ton. None of that goes unnoticed. And I never want to do an episode where we don't thank you because without you, there's no way that we do this. But with that being said, let's go ahead. Let's jump into today what the real church looks like. Now, when most people think about the church today, what do you guys think they actually think about? What are the pictures that come to mind when we talk about church? We are the people. <laughs> open the door. <laughs> you know, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open yeah. the door and here's all the people. Yeah. Is it weird that that thing always, it, it really weirded me out because the fingers moved awkwardly and I'm just like, I don't know. I, I get the heebie-jeebies every time I see it, right? It's funny. That's exactly what I was going to do, but she beat me to it. <laughs> so... Well, you guys are married, so that makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. But no, we, we, we think of, um, we, we, we use the phrase, we're going to church. And what does that mean? That means mm. that we're going to a worship service. So it, it's to not, or to a building. Have to, it could be for something else. Yeah. 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 So it's, uh, so we either think of the building or uh, a lot of times we just think of the service. And uh, that's what we think of. The dangerous part about that? is if we think about a building or we think about a specific building, then we've relegated church to being a place, which Mm -hmm. is super dangerous. But if we're thinking about the worship service, which is different, we've Mm -hmm. relegated church to being a thing we do Mm -hmm. or a thing we go Mm -hmm. see to be entertained. An event. Yeah. Yeah. So it's either a place or it's an event. The reality is Mm -hmm. the church is neither one of those. But when we start thinking about the church as a place or as an event, um, that's when things start getting really off target. And I would say this, It is way easier for abusers to live in the church, for people to manipulate you, to spiritually abuse you, to use you and exploit you if you see the church as a place, an event, or both. Because when you see the church not as a place, not as an event, but you see it as what it really is, which we're going to talk about today, it gets way harder to be manipulated or used because you see your own authority, you see your own belonging within the church, and you see how we submit to one another and how that works. Any other things that you can think that come to your mind that people think of when they hear church? Well, they think of a lot of negative things too. 
Um, they think of sure. the judgment, the people that are judging things, especially politically now. You know, they're going to think of the 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 way far right that's you know down with everybody and down with everything and just the negativity um, more so mm. than any positivity. Um, and I was also going to say when you're um, when you think of church as a place and where you're going, people can yeah. hide out there, and then they look on the outside, and anybody that's not in church, because we use that phrase, mm-hmm. in church, so anybody that's not in church is kind of to be judged or they're less than, and it really beefs up anybody that has pride issues or has narcissism or anything like that. Yeah. To, I'm better because I'm in church every Sunday. I mean, even those phrases right there, I'm catching myself. Even those phrases are not I'm in church every Sunday, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about narcissism on the very first episode, and we're going to talk about narcissists within the church on a bunch of episodes because it's something that comes up a lot of times with abuse. Um, Actually, uh, and this really has nothing to do with this episode, but an incredible book that I've read recently, and if you're in our community, it's in our book recommendations. But um, When Narcissism Comes to Church, by Chuck DeGroat, is one of the best books I've ever read on the subject. And he says the way we do church, the way we think about church as a place, as an event, Mm -hmm. that kind of tribal, I belong kind of thing, that we actually are a magnet for narcissistic leaders. And Mm -hmm. we protect narcissistic leaders because we want that. Most narcissists are highly charismatic. Hey, they're very good to be able to manipulate people. If narcissists were or narcissists were jerks all the time, none of us would ever fall prey to what they do. We fall prey to what they do because they're charismatic, they're talented. Mm-hmm. Well, think about most of the pastors of large churches today. They're charismatic, right? They can put on a good show. They can preach well. They can draw you to them, right? So the more we think about church as a place or an event, the more we actually breed narcissism in the mm-hmm. church. Uh, but Abby, I think what you one of the things you said was super important. We start thinking about politics. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. this is worse than it's ever been in my lifetime. And I think in my lifetime, mm. people have always connected the church of politics. But in the mm. last five, probably five to eight years, I can't pinpoint when it was. Maybe it was a little farther than that because it really started ramping up for me when um, Barack Obama was going into the presidency. Mm-hmm. I remember that election mm-hmm. cycle. Things started getting nastier, um, and I thought at, at the beginning, well, I hadn't been an adult long, so maybe it was right. always this nasty, but I think part of it was social media was mainstream, so we're talking about what we believe, and uh, church people, more than anybody else, think that our opinions need to be aired out on social media for everyone to see, that everyone needs to know our opinion, right? Um, even though I don't think anyone's ever changed a big stance in their life over Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, because spoiler alert... Those sites, social media is only showing you people who agree with you. They show you people you disagree with only enough to start an argument and then fill your feed with people you agree with. So we're we're not getting better. We're getting dumber Mm -hmm. as we argue on social media. Mm -hmm. But most people today, over the last 8 to 12 years, this has changed so much. Most people today can't think about the evangelical church without thinking about Republicans. And they can't think about the mainline church without thinking about liberals. There's a liberal branch of Christianity, mm-hmm. and then there is a Republican branch yeah. of Christianity. And because mm-hmm. the evangelical church is so big and so loud, and the evangelical church is more involved in politics mm-hmm. than any others. We want our candidate in to do our thing, right? Mm-hmm. We want to legislate morality. We don't want to call people right. to believe what Jesus has called them to do and then change. Mm-hmm. We don't want to let the Holy Spirit change them. Yeah. We want who's in office to change them. We want laws to change them, right? Which yeah. I never think works. But what we do, we've got to this place to where the majority of people 
especially in the areas that we live in, like the southeastern United States, the eastern United States, when they think about evangelical Christians, evangelical Christianity, they think Republican, and they can't separate the two. And uh, spoiler alert, you're watching. If you didn't know this, I'm just going to bust your bubble right now. Jesus wasn't a Republican. (laughs) He wasn't a Republican. He wasn't a Democrat. He wasn't a Libertarian. He would have pissed every single side of the political (laughs) aisle off Mm -hmm. all the time, okay? Um, People tried to get Jesus in his day. Man, the Pharisees, the people who were following him, People wanted Jesus to start a kingdom. They wanted him to overthrow the Roman government. And every time they tried to entrap him in political stuff, he did not care. He got out of that conversation, so let's talk about more important things. Um, But sadly, when I tell people I'm a Christian, they think all that means is that I vote red. And then they immediately assume uh, I believe certain things. I think that's damaging. I think it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, something that, uh, thinking about Jesus and politics, that hit me a while back is um, I don't think Jesus was necessarily pro-democracy. He's a king. So Jesus is a monarch, you know? And when we think about that, he's a loving, gracious monarch. And so a lot of times... He doesn't give us a vote on everything. He doesn't give us a vote. (laughs) (laughs) He actually, you know, Scripture refers to us as bond servants. So we're called to sacrifice and lay down everything for Jesus. And so it's like we a lot of times we have to separate that, but it's, uh, you know, one of my soapboxes is you can't legislate morality. You know, when you legislate morality, it's, uh, that infringes on free will. And if God gives us free will and gives us a choice, uh, you know, how, how can the government take that away, you know, and, and how can we, we can't legislate that away in my opinion. And, uh, you know, Jesus just called us to love each other. So if, if whatever our political stance is, isn't loving our neighbor first, we're wrong. Yeah. But you may not be wrong politically because you can have a political identity and be a Christian. So let me just say that you can yeah. be a Christian Republican. You can be a hardcore Christian Democrat. I've got some people, we just lost some followers because I said you can be a Christian Democrat. Okay. <laughs> um, bye. That's okay. Right. Um, you can be a Christian Democrat. Yeah. You can be a Christian Republican. You can have that identity. Yeah. My political identity is it, it, it's very much so in the middle. I'm very much so a moderate, but my political identity, mm-hmm. I will make decisions politically that are very different than what I would make morally. But the difference is moral decisions and kingdom decisions apply to me because I'm a kingdom person, right, first. They don't apply to other Americans who aren't kingdom people first, right? So there are times where I would say, hey, I think the right thing to do politically would be X, but the thing I have to do with my life is different. That's Z, so i got to go a different way. So you can have a political identity. That's totally okay. But when our political identity gets bigger, than our Christian identity, or our political identity gets so tied to our kingdom identity that we can't separate the two, or the other people can't separate the two, then there's a problem. But we also got to think about this. We want, as evangelical Christians, we tend to want everybody to act the way that we do, believe the way that we do. We want everybody to come to Jesus. And if you're listening to this right now, people are probably thinking, isn't that a good thing, Jeff? We want Mm -hmm. everybody to come to Jesus, as many people to come to Jesus as possible. I would actually say it's not a good thing. It is not a good thing that everybody comes to Jesus, and here's why. That's not what God expects. So right when you think about Revelation, you think about the fact that all of Revelation, this book of prophecy, is saying that God is continually merciful. He gives people more and more chances until the full number of people who have been saved, but He knows not everyone 
is going to bend their knee to him and call him king. And again, Buck, what you said, he goes back to free will. He says, many are called. Jesus said, many are called, you were chosen. Jesus said in Matthew 7, on that day, the day of his return, the day of judgment, many are, many are going to say to me, Lord, Lord, and they're going to talk about all they did, and I'm going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you, right? Um, we know that the, Jesus said the, the way to heaven, the way to life, it is narrow, right? But the mm-hmm. way of the world, it is wide. Many find it. Few will find the way to life. So sometimes we're actually, I think as Christians, sometimes we're fighting against God because God knows not everybody's going to say yes to me. And I love mm-hmm. you so much. I'm not going to make you say yes to me, but we're trying to make everybody say yes to him, look like him, act like him. Now, if everybody's not going to say yes to him, what business do I have expecting people who don't know Jesus and don't believe in Jesus to act like they believe in Jesus? Mm-hmm. Zero. There's no way. I mean, there's no way without the Holy Spirit. I mean, there, there's no way for us to act like Jesus. It's hard with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I have the Holy Spirit, and I struggle to act like Jesus every day. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But think about this. In um, 1 Corinthians, when you know Paul is, is, is dealing with... Um, the guy who was uh, sleeping with a stepmom and he's talking about church discipline and how to deal with that. He said, it's our job to judge those inside the church, inside the body, mm-hmm. not the building. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He said, we don't judge those outside the church. Right. But what do Christians do again? Because people think about that politics thing, that Christians and mm-hmm. far right Christians and being a Republican are the same thing. We have a whole lot of Christians and churches that are spending their time, spending tide dollars, protesting pride rallies. Why would I be protesting pride rallies? Now, look, I'm not telling you what you need to believe when it comes to that. What I am saying is we don't judge people. Paul said it's not our spot. It's not our place Mm -hmm. to judge people outside the church. So if I've got non-Christians who are marching in a pride rally, why am I out there trying to judge them and change their mind? Wouldn't I actually be better off to befriend some of them and build a relationship with them and pray with them and love them like Jesus? Mm -hmm. Like there are some churches that will say we don't we don't believe that it's God's best for you. We don't believe in gay marriage. We don't believe, we believe homosexuality is a sin yet instead of um, picketing those things, they're out there with water yeah, and giving people who are marching in pride parades, cold water, giving them free food, which looks more like Jesus. I think Jesus yeah. would have been given out the, the water. Right. Um, but again, we're going to have people who disagree. This podcast is probably, it's, it's going to separate the wheat from the chaff, like who is really with us and who is not. <laughs> but hey, if you disagree, we can totally disagree politically, but we're not going to shy away from politics. Um, we're not, never going to tell you what we believe or what you know how we vote as a podcast, first of all, because none of us vote the same. My wife and I don't even agree on how we vote half the time, right? Um, but we're not going to be scared to talk about politics, not how you should vote, but how it intersects with the kingdom because yeah. politics have been used as a, as a tool of abuse and as a tool of manipulation, right? So yeah. I want to see a world, the real church, you don't know, when you're thinking about the real church, you don't even know how they vote. Mm-hmm. And you know that they don't care how you vote because that's not what they're about. They're about kingdom rule. Mm-hmm. They're about what we're called to as kingdom people. So um, yeah. again, if you've been hurt by a church, because uh, of politics and they've used politics to manipulate you or you've been hurt by things that have been said from stage about politics. I'm so sorry. Jesus is not interested in our American political realm. 
Jesus is yeah. interested in your heart. Jesus is interested in loving people and transforming people through love. So uh, again, keep your identity in politics. That, that go vote. That's awesome. But we need mm-hmm. to be known as kingdom people mm-hmm. to a much greater degree than we are political people. Yeah. And the real church, the real church looks like Jesus, not a political party. Mm-hmm. I agree. There's a there's a movie um, that I, that I love called Lord Save Us from Your Followers. Is it Save Us from Your Followers or Save Us from Your People? That um, sounds spicy. It, oh, it's it, great. You would love it. Is You'd that a documentary? It. Yeah, 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 uh-huh. yeah, yeah. And yeah, at the very yeah. end, spoiler, because um, this is like the climax in my opinion. He goes to a pride rally, mm. and he sets up a confession booth. Like it, like it wow. looks like a Catholic confession booth, mm-hmm. and he just gets in there and sits and waits for people to come in. And when he comes in, or when people come in, it wasn't so they could confess to him. It's so he wow. could confess the sins of the church to them yeah. and apologize. Wow. And the response, I'm getting chills, I think you are too, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the response is just, it's love. And people, you can see the amount of church hurt that people have had from people mm. acting like what we think is what what people think mm-hmm. is the church, um, yeah. which is condemning and judgmental, and you need to look like us, and we're here to convert you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we think of as also when we think about the church is yeah. we're, we're here, especially evangelical, we're taught, you know, go go make disciples, which that is a great thing, but we go about it the wrong way. Yeah. And we think that mm-hmm. just means bringing people into the church, the church building. So yeah. anyway. The but country it's, club. It's, yeah, mm-hmm. well. Um, but, uh, but I love, um, I love the idea of the confessing of the church's sins to, to Mm. someone who is a sinner currently not saved or has been hurt by church. I mean, we need to hear that. And how many people, Mm. how how can the church can, um, how can the church apologize to these people? I mean, I think that's what part of this is mm-hmm. for, right? Mm-hmm. Is saying, yeah. I'm sorry that we as a church have not been acting like the real church. And we've gotten yeah. involved mm-hmm. in this showing up to the building, doing the thing, and going mm-hmm. home and eating Sunday supper. And we treat people like they're projects, like there's something I'll to be fixed. Preach that buck. Like, mm-hmm. like when we see people outside the church, like we want to fix them. Like you're not as moral as me, or you're this or that is what what the and church does. Doesn't it make you want to be friends with someone and want to get in a relationship with them when you know all they want to do is fix what's wrong with you? Isn't that just awesome? That's why I got married. <laughs> <laughs> Don't get yourself in trouble on the podcast. I, I scooted away. <laughs> But if we want help, we're going to seek it out ourselves. We're going to mm-hmm. find who we want. And it's a little invasive for somebody to come in thinking they have all the answers to fix me um, yeah. as, as a person. And that's the way the outside looks at the church because that's mm-hmm. the way we're acting. Yeah. So we think we have all the answers. We're going to try to fix them. you know. And, and, and I think this is true. So I'm about to say a phrase that I think is true, but it's been misused and abused so much that I hate the phrase and I think we need to retire it from church. Okay. Um, again, it's it it it's good. It's true in a lot of ways. It's been abused by so many people. I don't want to be associated with it. Jesus loves you exactly as you are, but He loves you too much to leave you that way. Now there is a lot of truth there, mm-hmm. but that immediately. So so here's what happens. Mm-hmm. Psychologists will tell you the moment you say "but." Everything you just said was negated. So I've been trying to learn this, and this isn't just for me. I've actually, Tim Mm -hmm. Ross talks about this all the time. I've been learning it from Tim, um, who is the host of the Basement Podcast. 
Um, but he has really went to and. And I try to say, not instead of but, and. This is true, and this is true. We can have a positive and a negative, right? So when we say Jesus loves you exactly as you are, that is true. Mm-hmm. He does. He went to the cross. My understanding of theology, he went to the cross for you, seeing all of your sin. You don't have to do anything for him to extend the hand of love, for him to extend that invitation, right? Now, he loves you exactly the way you are, but the moment you say but, what we're communicating is everything I just said doesn't matter. So Jesus loving you how you are doesn't matter. But now I'm communicating the next thing on the other side of the butt is all that matters. Mm-hmm. He loves you too much to let you stay that way. Now, theologically, that is true. We should get better. Our lives should get better. We should change and be transformed when we come into a relationship with Jesus. But one, it's, it's way slow. It is wicked slow. Maybe mm-hmm. not for everybody. For me, it was wicked slow. Yeah. Like I transformed yeah. overnight. But there's stuff it took me 10 years ago. There's stuff I didn't know was a sin that today I'm convicted about, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There's stuff I was convicted about at that point that God's given me freedom over now, right? Mm-hmm. So as we grow, it takes a while. So one thing is that phrase makes it feel like I should change overnight, okay? Two, we like to use that phrase to pick on something specific to change next. Mm. Yeah. And God rarely changes the thing that bothers us most, when he saves us. And I remember, you know, I was a student pastor for a really long time. I remember being a student pastor at a 220 year old traditional Southern Baptist church. Okay. And, uh, we had kids who would come from a pretty rough neighborhood who would come to be a part of our youth ministry. And, uh, and I remember one, he had been saved, hadn't been saved for too long at all, probably like three or four weeks. And, uh, we had a, we had like a lock-in and game night. I can't remember what we were doing. We did something that surprised him so much that, uh, you know, he was just having a blast. So I'm like, dude, are you having a good time? And I was so excited because this kid is enjoying church and he doesn't look like a church kid. Hey man, are you having a good time? And he stops, he goes, yeah, this place is effing awesome. And he didn't say effing. He just straight up F-bomb. And I've got some kids, I've got some adults looking at me like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And I, I, what I did, I high-fived him. I said, this place is effing awesome, right? <laughs> and then I had to take people across to the side and I'm like, hey, we're not telling him that's okay. But mm-hmm. that's the way he talks. And you know what? God is not trying to change the way he talks immediately. He's just changing his heart. And eventually yeah. he'll be convicted about the way he talks. Eventually he'll learn some of those things. And we may not agree on what's a cuss word and what's not. Mm-hmm. Christians, we, we don't agree, but we act like everybody else agrees with us. Mm-hmm. But his heart was changed. And this, I think the father smiled. I think God smiled in heaven when he said, this is effing awesome. And you know what? I think God is going, yeah, it is. Right. I'm not saying that God cusses. Okay. So some of y'all is going to mess with your minds. I'm not saying that God cusses, but I think that sometimes we get bothered over stuff that doesn't bother God. You know, and the thing is, and to that point is behavior follows belief, you know? Mm -hmm. And so like in the church, so much of the time when people, a new person comes into the church and where we tell them if, if you behave correctly, and then you believe correctly, then you can belong. But, you know, which is backwards because we should let people come in and they should have a sense of belonging, like like they can be there. And and then the, the belonging will lead to belief. And then that belief will lead to right behavior. But I would even say transformation more than right behavior. Transfer, yeah, and the, the, the behavior, but it's, it's the... Um, 
you know, sticking with the bees there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so the, it's uh, a little Christianese. That's like church alliteration. So <laughs> yeah, well, come on. <laughs> That's uh, yeah. I, I was trying to stay away Let from the word that one. alliteration. Come on, Jeff. Yeah, remember uh, no Christianese, easy answers. So, uh, <laughs> but no, it, but it is, it, it's, we're transformed by love mm-hmm. and we're, you know, as a church, so much of the time, we don't just love people freely. And so I, I was a youth leader at a uh, church here in Knoxville. Was it effing awesome? <laughs> <laughs> there there it, were it was... times that were effing awesome, but the, <laughs> but we did a church camp and man, we worked so hard to raise a ton of money. And uh, I'm not sure how much of the story I can share, but so we just don't we, use names. And we're we, uh, we took these uh, kids to this church and, and so uh, we took some inner city kids, and those kids were pretty effing awesome. And the uh, <laughs> but we get there, and uh, and it was just too much uh, for the uh, for the country club people mm. to accept the people that. And so I've never been around such a divisive spirit. I mean, and the whole weekend ended up being a battle. But it wasn't, I mean, and, and the kids that weren't, you know, culturally Christian and didn't have the right behavior, they weren't the problem. I mean, they, they did some problems. They did some things that definitely were not, they shouldn't have done. But at the end of the day, the biggest problem were some of the parents. Like oh, yeah. one of the parents intentionally tried to get Abby and uh, mad at each other and tried to get us uh, like at each other's throats as a way to divide and conquer. And, uh, I mean, so I've seen some absolutely crazy stuff, but you know what, that weekend, I think we had four or five kids come to Christ. I mean, it was, but it was just a powerful weekend and the love of God showed up, uh, in They were being changed the way that God cares about them being changed. They weren't being changed the way the parents or the people wanted them to change. Yeah. At least not fast enough. Yeah. Their behavior wasn't right. You know, so, I mean, but how can we expect that? That they weren't, they weren't raised uh, in the country club and they, they were raised on the streets. I mean, and these, these were really street kids. They were rough. Yeah. And so it comes back to that same question. How can we expect and why would we expect people who don't know Jesus and don't believe in Jesus to act like they do? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, there is no expectation, but the truth is, I think that weekend I saw more Jesus in the in the the kids from the community than I did in the country club people, mm-hmm. because I saw Pharisees in the country club people. And just to clarify, your I I like to be his translator um, because sometimes he just <laughs> needs it. Um, but country club meaning the church, like yeah. the the people yeah. that were members of the yeah. church. Yeah, <laughs> that country yeah. club mindset. Yeah. That country, but but yeah. it, it's but that's. Uh, that's one of the things that happens when we think about the church as the four walls or the service is it builds an exclusivity that I don't believe Jesus ever intended. Like yeah. it's an exclusive attitude. And, uh, you know, we hear Christianity and the faith described as exclusive um, by people outside the church all the time. And, but Jesus is inclusive. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus is, it's really, to me, it's the most inclusive faith. Some of our favorite stories in scripture was Jesus including someone who shouldn't have been included. Yeah. Right? So the you have the Only woman when with the issue. we identify with that person. Yeah. Not with somebody yeah. else identifies yeah. with that person. Well, well, that's a totally different thing. So like the woman with the <laughs> yeah. issue of blood, that was someone who shouldn't have been able to touch Jesus because she was unclean. 
the lepers uh, oh. who were unclean, uh, who were, who were healed. You know, they were unclean. We look at um, the Gentile woman who even Jesus said, "I came for." The, the lost sheep of Israel. And she says, even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that come from the master's table. And then he mm-hmm. heals her. You're talking about the Roman centurion. He shouldn't have been <clears throat> offering to go to a, a Roman's house, a Gentile's house, yet he did. Yeah. Right? Um, you got the woman who's caught in the act of adultery. You've got the Samaritan woman. You've got Mary Magdalene. Right? You've got all of these things. You've got when Jesus goes in to Lazarus, who was buried, and a good Jewish man would have never went near a dead body. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got time after time after time where Jesus was around people that the the Christians at the time, per se, the believers at the time, because there were no Christians, there were no believers, but the the good Jews at the time would have said he should have never been around, and he was always inclusive toward them. Who did he exclude? He excluded the Pharisees, the ones yeah. that thought they knew better. And Jesus didn't expect everybody to be, you know, to be perfect. Yeah. So you think about you said a minute ago, Buck, and I think this is powerful. There's a couple of things I want to hit on. I want to hit on the cultural Christianity and the exclusive nature of the church. So you said those kids, of course they did some things that were wrong. They weren't cultural Christians, right? Okay, Jesus was not a cultural Christian. Jesus would make cultural Christians really, really uncomfortable today. (laughs) And he made the cultural Jews at the time really, really uncomfortable, okay? Not to mention, every time Jesus got a huge crowd... Right, what he did, he didn't give them his best sermon. He didn't do his best, you know, membership push. He didn't invite them to, you know, next steps or growth track or whatever it is. <laughs> right. Instead, he said things like, "Oh, you want to follow me? Eat my flesh, drink my blood." Um, and I'm not going to explain that at all. Mic drop. Just take a bite. <laughs> right. And then thousands of people would walk away. Right. His disciples would say, though, he would say, "Are, are you not going to leave too?" Mm-hmm. And then what does Peter say? Where else would we go? Right now, there's so much nuance to this, but this gets to the exclusivity. It gets to what you talked about, mm-hmm. Buck, with uh, being able to belong before you believe. All of the disciples of Jesus mm-hmm. had already been told they weren't good enough yeah. by the Pharisees and the religious scholars, mm-hmm. because if they were good enough, right, yeah. then they would have been able to find a rabbi. It would have been their job before they entered into rabbinical school around 13, 15 or so. They would have had to have found a rabbi who was willing to take them. Every rabbi told them no. Mm -hmm. Every rabbi said, you're not Mm -hmm. worth it. So what do you do if you can't find a rabbi to take you? You have to find someone else to disciple you. Okay, so let's Mm -hmm. think about Peter, James, and John. You got James and John are brothers, son of Zebedee, and then you got you know Peter who's working with them. That means that for James and John, they couldn't find likely anyone else who would disciple them or apprentice them in a career or a skill outside of their daddy. Mm -hmm. You're super wanted. Only Mm -hmm. my dad would take me. Then Peter's hanging out with his friends because when you were discipled by someone, you lived with them. You did life with them. You're with them all the time, right? Now, beyond that, we know that within the years that Peter was following Jesus, he was married. My guess is he was married before he started following Jesus because the way that Jesus lived and the way that they followed him, I think that would have been a really bad time to get married. Probably wouldn't have worked, right? Yeah. Most Jewish men, they didn't get married until they'd went and prepared a place and they had finished their apprenticeship, and they were now a master in whatever the trade was themselves. Which means that Peter was likely, let's just extrapolate this out, he was likely not only having to be, he was told no by the Pharisees, he was told no by the religious scholars Mm -hmm. that he wasn't good enough. He's working as a fisherman with his friends, Mm -hmm. right? And their dad, plus him and his wife, and if they've got kids, are all living right there with his Mm -hmm. friends and their dad and mom, or Mm -hmm right next to them because that's how apprenticeship worked. That's Mm -hmm. how discipleship worked in that day, right? So when Jesus comes up on Peter, James, and John, 
he comes up on a bunch of nobodies who feel washed out, who society is totally overlooking. And what did he say? He didn't say, I've got some questions for you. I need you to tell me, how do you vote? How do you believe? What are your theological non-negotiables? And if we agree, then I'll take you. Do you go to the morning service or the later service? <laughs> How many times a month do you attend temple right now? You know, mm-hmm. um, what small group are you in? <laughs> yeah. He didn't ask him any of that. What, what's your view on homosexuality? Didn't ask him anything. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, didn't ask him anything. What he did was he came out and first of all, did a miracle for him because they mm-hmm. weren't even good fishermen. <laughs> they, they couldn't even catch anything, man. He does a miracle. They catch fish. And then he goes, Hey, you know who I am? I'm up and coming self-proclaimed rabbi. Every other rabbi, every other person has told you you're not good enough. They've told you you won't amount to anything. Mm-hmm. Why don't you come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men? Why don't you come be my disciple, and I'll make you fishers of men? And he turned their mm-hmm. entire view of God on its head when he said, you don't have to talk me into taking you. Mm-hmm. I want you to follow me. But here's what Jesus never asked. He never explained, I'm the son of God. Mm-hmm. I'm about to die for the sins of the world on the cross, and I need you to walk with me for three years and help me prepare. I need you to do this. No, no, he didn't explain anything. He simply said, come and follow me. They were allowed to follow and belong well before they believed. It was much later when Jesus said, Peter, who do you say that I am? Yeah. You're the Christ. I mean, what, probably close to three years later. Yeah. I mean, and that's the thing, and I think that's one of the things that we get so wrong is— we think of discipleship as this process of sanctification. So we, we start like, okay, now that you believe, you can come into our group and we'll start discipling you. Yeah. And But what discipling someone really is, it starts with wherever they are. You know, mm-hmm. and the phrase come as you are is so overused now. But uh, but it's like we start discipling and we meet people wherever we are. That, Don't come as you are. are. Just come. Just come, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no as you are, there's no get better, just Yeah, come. yeah. That's all Jesus has them to do. I don't want to get too far down the discipleship trail, because okay. you and I, Buck, we can talk about that really well. That would be a great conversation. Yeah. Um, but that's another podcast, so I want to save it, because that's a podcast I want yeah. you to be on we're going to talk about later. I've spent the last three mm-hmm. years of my life studying discipleship um, and out of discipleship mm-hmm. and what Jewish men and women would have heard about discipleship. And when you do that Mm -hmm. and you reread the Great Commission, it breaks our theology in half. Okay. So just uh, spoiler alert, that one's going to come. When you see that episode on discipleship, um, it is going to change the way you view much of the New Testament, right? Yeah. Um, In a really, really cool way. Mm -hmm. But Jesus allowed all of the disciples, it's the same thing with Matthew. We did the same with everything we knew. He called them without asking them to change at all. Okay, he just showed them what was right, and he allowed them to be disciples of his before they were believers of his. Which means you can be a disciple of Jesus before you can be a believer of Jesus. And the church would say, "There's yeah. no way you can be a disciple before yeah. you're a believer. You got to believe first. No, 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 no. We need to do life on life with you. And many people are going to believe in Jesus because they've seen Jesus in us as we've done life together, right? Mm-hmm. So you can be a disciple before you believe. So you talk about that exclusivity, mm-hmm. though." right? The country club exclusivity. Let's go back to the church. Most people think of the church as a building, a place, yeah. mm-hmm. or an event, right? Yeah. How many times have you heard, well, at my church, I go to my church, or at my church, we do it this way. I saw somebody on Facebook the other day. They literally responded to someone's you know, comment about people. Uh, you know, Someone had posted something about you know, churches doing stuff that wasn't mm-hmm. biblical, you know, which, it, yeah, just 
go out on Facebook. That's the place you need to lead. Um, <laughs> now, there's, there's a time and a place to go public with stuff. That's not where we lead. We don't start at Facebook. We try to have conversations with people. That's where we're going, okay? And I'm saying that as someone who's called out people hardcore on Facebook. So um, now... Guilty. Yeah, but... Um, someone posts something like that, and then this other person responds, well, at my church, we only preach the true Bible. Like, they want claps. And I'm sitting there going, at your <laughs> church, you don't have a church. You are a church. Yeah, yeah. Right? We don't have different churches. So first of all, at, at the whole my church, I'm like, all right, we're not on the same page, lady. Second thing, right, I'm looking at it, and she only preached the true Bible. What does that mean to you? Because what that means to me, if you only preach the true Bible, is that you only preach out of the earliest manuscripts that we have in the original language, which is Greek, it's Hebrew, it's Aramaic, <laughs> right? Now, I can read those. I don't know that you can. I'm just looking at your profile picture, I'm looking at, you know, the stuff. That's, I, I don't, I, I'm just guessing, okay? I'm making a judgment that you probably can't understand those. But other people would say, someone else would look at it and they'd go, we only teach the, teach the true Bible. I've got a book on that bookshelf behind you. It's called... The sect, the new sect of King James onlyism, yeah. because there are some people who would say the only true Bible is the 1611 authorized version by King James, because of course the only true Bible is authorized by a human king who is a crappy king at that. <laughs> right? Yeah, who literally asked translators. He authorized his own version so that translators would translate things his way for his political benefit, and they translated much of it from the Latin Vulgate, not the original languages. So let's not get started on that, but let's just say the true Bible is not the. 1611, authorized King James. And uh, mm -hmm. if you think it is, I'm not sure how you've lasted on the podcast this long, but just, it, it, it's, it's not, right? But <laughs> and, and I didn't respond to her yeah. at all, but here's what I was thinking, guys. My church only does X. We get into this exclusive mm -hmm. us versus them. It's not just us versus those worldly people who don't believe. Mm -hmm. It's not just us versus the sinners. Mm -hmm. It's us versus the church down the street who has a different interpretation of the Bible. Right. They have the evidence, the same evidence of the same Holy Spirit, yet because they interpreted something differently, we think they're the enemy because mm -hmm. my church is the best. You have mega church pastors who will say, oh, there's tons of good churches. And then behind the scenes with their staff, they're talking about how special their church is. Well, yeah, there's lots of good churches, but, but look at what God's doing through us, right? That us versus them exclusive mentality is mm -hmm. only keeping us fighting against people outside the church. We're fighting against each other because there there are people right now who are probably commenting somewhere on social media they don't think I'm a I'm a believer mm -hmm. because I've said things like jackass and douchebag on this podcast or because I said something I didn't agree with or today there are people who don't think I'm a believer because I said you ought to be a republican to be a christian right um that I think that that us versus them with each other is really hurting the church yeah and I mean and so even having been in ministry the thing that used to always get me is we'd want to do a community event or we'd want to go out and re do an outreach and you'd go to other churches in the community that were trying to re uh, reach the same people. And um, no other church, it, it seemed like it was so hard to get any other church to do um, or to join you in anything. And Nobody wants to work together. Nobody wants to work together. Or a church would bring something to us and then uh, the board that we answered to a lot of times didn't want to join with another church. We're like, mm -hmm. 
what's their doctrine or, you know, it's, so it's all about who's going to get glory. And at the end of the day, it's like, we want Jesus to be the one to get the glory. It doesn't matter if uh, the church's name or what name, you know, first self-righteous church is on the sign that's putting on this event. Who cares? (laughs) If we actually, if churches had to name themselves the way that people in the community would describe them, (laughs) we'd have some really jacked up church names. (laughs) Right? (laughs) It's it's almost like a disclaimer when you're selling a house, like I have to legally disclaim, like, all right, I'm releasing and disclaiming anything. I know that's wrong with this house. Like if you had to do that as a church, we'd be hosed. (laughs) I I think that name came from a Ray Stevens song first yeah. self-righteous church yeah, yeah. i know what you're talking about i know what you're talking about yeah. um but yeah so that, yeah. that's one of my pet peeves the my church mindset right yeah. i don't have a church okay i attend a local gathering a mm-hmm. local expression of the church and i'll say this sometimes i'm going to say it on the podcast at some point and people are going to call me out totally fine right mm-hmm. because we're all trying to get better but that is one of my pet peeves it's something i'm trying to fix because it's i don't have a church right it's not my church I am church yeah, and your church and your church. We are church. There are different mm-hmm. local expressions. What does church mean? The word ecclesia, the original word for church that Jesus used simply means gathering. Mm-hmm. And the first time he used it, the first few times he used it, the church wasn't a thing yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We, we were on the wrong side of the cross. He wasn't teaching about what was to come. At one point when he was talking to Matthew 18 about church discipline, and he said, take it before the church, right? If this person doesn't change when you go to them one-on-one, they don't change when you go to them with witnesses, and they're still doing things that are hurting people, sinful things, and you take it before the church. It literally meant the gathering, which everyone hearing it would have been like temple. We go to temple when every Jew's at temple, and you find every Jew who's in the city and go, this is what's happening, and we're not going to hide it, Mm -hmm. right? Now, we turn that into church discipline like with the modern church, that's not really church discipline, that's brotherly discipline. It's how we're dealing with you know stuff, mm-hmm. especially when one person's hurting another, right? Mm-hmm. But that whole idea of, of my church, my church, my church, it has moved from just this tribalism mm-hmm. with the church we go to, right? But it has now, and again, when I go to a church, if I, my church implies that now church is not a place or an event, it's a possession. Mm-hmm. But if I say the church I go to, it implies that, again, it's it's a place, mm-hmm. right? It's moved from people into leaders. Um, I'm not, not going to name any names here, but um, I know of, you know, a, a, a situation where you had a couple of sons, and this is the succession strategy for most modern-day multi-site megachurches. The only succession strategy they know is I have a kid, mm-hmm. they share my last name, mm-hmm. and I groom them to become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Right. The only succession strategy is nepotism. <laughs> I give it to the kid that's most holy. Now, I love my kids. Well, aren't you supposed to pass your business down to your children? Well, uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a business coach by day, and I tell most people that's a bad idea too. Right? <laughs> if you if you're if yeah. you want to pass your business down second generation to a family yeah. member, make that kid buy the business for the same price it's valued at for somebody else. Because if they don't buy it, you can finance it for them. Mm-hmm. But if they don't buy it. They're going to run it in the ground. In my, and so that was definitely sarcasm on my point that it's a business. Yeah. It's know. a pet peeve. Yeah. The, um, but you're, you're exactly right. It's, um, man, I just lost your point that I was going to talk about. Anyway. Nepotism as a succession strategy, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but, but I, so let, I'll tell you the story because this is, mm-hmm. this is, it is sad. It is heartbreaking. And it's also hilarious because it shows you how far we get off with this, this mindset of my church. Now, my kids, I love them to death. I've got a 15-year-old. 
just got his permit the other day. Got a, you know, mm-hmm. one about turn 13. Um, my boys are incredible. They're super talented. Neither one of them right now would be a good fit to take over my business. Okay. They both have some entrepreneurial bones, mm-hmm. right? But one of them is, is more like freelance entrepreneurial, right? Um, the other one is probably, he may own his own business one day. Neither one of them like the things I like and would be a good consultant. I could teach them everything I know. They're not going to be a good coaching consultant. They're probably not going to be a good podcaster. Like, you know, my youngest son, he could produce podcasts all day long. Yeah. Right. But if I assume that the only way my business can continue is instead of selling it to someone else, I push it on them, then I'm setting them up to fail. Mm -hmm. Right. But in the church, that's what we do. Okay, so we've got a successful pastor. What do we do? And, and it's not just the pastors who are doing this. It's the boards that want it. It's the elders that want mm-hmm. it, right? It's we've got this successful pastor, so we've got to take their son. Okay? Mm-hmm. So that's across the board, and most pastors who do that have more than one son. Okay? So I'm trying to be careful. There's usually, there is usually mm-hmm. a competition that you don't see that is happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes between sons mm-hmm. of which one's going to take it. Okay, mm-hmm. sometimes three or four sons in the running. Mm-hmm. I know of a, a pastor who had two sons who were in the running to take over for him mm-hmm. at a very big, quote-unquote, successful church. Now, um, I know both the sons, know the family, a lot of good's going on there, right? But um, they're in a running for years, and you kind of had two camps within the church. For years on staff, you had two camps. Is it son A, is it the oldest son, mm-hmm. or the youngest son, right? Mm-hmm. And people were split up because if you were in the wrong camp— the idea that no one really talked mm-hmm. about in front of people, but it would happen mm-hmm. around coffee tables, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you're in the wrong camp, then you're screwed when this mm-hmm. gets announced. You will not be on staff long, right? Now, mm-hmm. I was pretty sure I had the right camp. I was on staff at the time. I was in the right camp. But the whole deal was everything that was done was a test for who was going to be the next senior pastor. So the decision gets made, and I'll never forget, we're in a big staff meeting with everybody you know, from a, b- a bunch of different churches and stuff, right? A bunch of different, like, campuses and, and ministries. And uh, one of the sons is telling a story. And he's like, okay, so for my birthday recently, I was so surprised when my dad gave me a car. He gave me an old Corvette that was completely restored. And he's like, oh, man, I couldn't believe it. My dad loves me. He gave me this, like, he's been working on this car for ages. It's worth so much money. It's beautiful. Fully restored, like, late 60s Corvette. Man, he gave me the Corvette. I felt so loved. And then a couple of days later, he let me know that he gave my brother the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I got the short end of the deal. And we were yeah. all laughing because it was hilarious. But I was convicted in that moment while I was laughing. Like, it's like it stopped. And the Holy Spirit just said, Jeff, they look at the church as something that can be given. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. a car. Mm-hmm. It's something you can win. It's a possession. Mm-hmm. It's something you can buy. And again, just like Bucky, we're talking about you know, yeah. passing out your family business. We treat it like it's a business. The church is not your possession. Pastors, the church is not your possession. Mm-hmm. The church is not your business. And we have no business just passing it down to our kids, right? Now, if you're the son of a pastor and you're watching this and you're like, no, I, I, I succeeded. And I, I know good people who succeeded their dads and they mm-hmm. should have, right? Here's all I'm saying, okay? I'm not saying this is always bad. I'm not saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. What I'm saying, church leaders, elders, pastors, everybody who's listening, it should never be our first thought, which son? Now, if the son of your pastor or the daughter of your pastor, depending on your theological persuasion, is the best fit mm-hmm. for being the next senior pastor of this church, 
make them go somewhere else and succeed and submit somewhere else. Let them show they can lead somewhere else outside of that family atmosphere where they're going to be protected, that bubble where they're going to be protected. Because if they can't actually succeed and do the job and lead somewhere else, if they can't win people over without their last name, they're not ready to be the senior pastor, right? And I actually think, I don't get mad at people doing that. I actually get heartbroken because there are so many men right now, especially men who are carrying the weight of something they were never called to because it was expected because of their last name, mm-hmm. right? But that goes back to if the church is a place, then it can easily become a possession. And if it's a possession, it can become something I can have or buy or sell like a business. And when we start treating it like a business, the people are expendable. Mm-hmm. You know, and even thinking about a church from, uh, you know, from a, a position of a congregant, not as a minister now, you know, I don't possess the church. The church possesses me. Like as when I think of myself as the bride of Christ and part of, you know, the body of Christ, I'm possessed by that. You know, it's not something that I get to own, that I get to control. It's something that's part of me that that I live out. I would even say you're not possessed by that. You're possessed by the Holy Ghost. Well, you're possessed by the Holy Spirit, which is like mm-hmm. the sinews and tendons holding all pieces of the body together. Yeah. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's just. I'm just inverting it, you know, but it's... Uh, I really just want to say Holy Ghost, possessed by the Holy Ghost, because it's possessed. fun. <laughs> You've been reading, reading that KJV, haven't you? Yeah, uh, yeah. well, I, this is the only thing I read. It's the only true Bible, apparently. <laughs> Seven King times Jimmy, purified. King Jimmy was like the second coming of Jesus, apparently, <laughs> if you didn't know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, let's not get started. <laughs> <laughs> but that's, so we talked about what the church is not, right? Yeah. And it's what most of what we think about as the church today is not what the church is. But let's talk about what the church is, because you just brought that up, Buck. The church is not a place. The church is not an event we go to. Mm-hmm. The church is not a possession we can have. The church is not a business, because again, in a business, if things aren't working for you, you you just get rid of people. You cut programs. You cut things. Everything's expendable in a business because you're mm-hmm. going after profit. Mm-hmm. Nobody's expendable in the church, because what mm-hmm. we're supposed to present back to Jesus is what we did in the body, and what pastors are supposed to present to Jesus are the sheep that God gave you. You can have extra sheep in the pen, but if you have extra sheep in the pen and Jesus comes back, think about this. Jesus comes back and he comes up to a pastor and he's judging his work and he's, and the pastor says, Jesus, look at me. You gave me 20 sheep and I've got 10,000 sheep now. I've got 10,000 sheep. They're in multiple sheep pens, one sheep pen in multiple locations, right? There are multiple sheep pens. I've got big sheep pens. I've got small sheep pens. We've got LED walls at some of our sheep pens, right? Um, we, we, so we've got sheep everywhere. We've got 10,000 sheep. There's a sheep. There's a sheep. Yeah. 10,000 sheep of all kinds. Are you, are you proud? Are you happy? Are you excited? Did I do good? And I think Jesus is going to look at him and he's going to say, Hey, that's really good. I, I really, it's, it's awesome about the 10,000 sheep. Um, I just can't help but noticing the 20 that I left you with, none of them are here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Where are they at? Well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. They were hard to deal with. (laughs) So I let them leave. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I put you here to protect and feed my sheep. Mm -hmm. I gave you those 20, and you don't know where they're at. Let me tell you where they're at. Seven of them got eaten by wolves. Because when they mm-hmm. left the sheep pen, they didn't know the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Uh, another five of them 
they were so lost they spent the rest of their life thinking they weren't even sheep. Mm-hmm. They were some sort of new wild animal because they, they didn't belong because they didn't have a sheep pen, right? Others wandered into other sheep pens, and they're okay. They didn't die. Mm-hmm. But they're in sheep pens I never wanted them to be in, and it caused problems in other pens. You caused problems in other pens because you didn't take care of the sheep that I gave you. I appreciate the 10,000, but I never ask you to bring me 10,000 sheep. I ask you to care for the sheep that I gave you. And what about the sheep that got sacrificed on the uh, pastor's altars of success? 100%. You know, I mean, because how many how many sheep are being sacrificed? I mean, you know. It's like we forgot that the Old Testament, like, like, that that's over, that the new covenant, that we yeah. don't have to make sacrifices because we're still sacrificing people every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that's a pure spotless sheep right there. We're going to go ahead and put that one on my altar right there. Well, it's yeah. the pure yeah. and spotless ones that cause the problems anyway. They're the ones with the new oh, ideas. They're the good. ones with, that have the heart of God that can see sometimes when everybody else is caught up in the business of church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and those are the ones we don't really want to hear from because they upset the apple cart. They yeah. turn the tables like Jesus does and say, whoa, 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 why are we doing this over here? This has nothing to do with Jesus. Yeah. Well, this whole podcast mm. is based on the premise of, uh, of me feeling like God and actually getting a word from someone else that they had heard God say, Jeff, you need to extend your table, your kitchen table of healing to mm. thousands of people, to as many people as can sit at it. But here's the thing. We're sitting at a lot of tables that Jesus would have flipped in a heartbeat. And we're mm. sitting at them because we gain from them. We're sitting at them because they're comfortable, right? And and mm. my prayer is that I will never be caught sitting at another table that Jesus would have flipped. Also, my prayer is that mm. I'm not flipping tables just because I'm a jerk or just because I like... I'm confrontational. I like flipping tables. Totally fine with me. I, mm. I, I like the scene. I don't need to be doing that either, mm-hmm. right? But what I do mm. need to be doing is when we're talking about the church... Okay, and I had so many people tell me when I first started going public um, against NDAs, and I started going public against. Uh, I, I wrote an open letter about a church that I had went through the entire process of church discipline with. They had refused to ever let me meet with the person mm-hmm. who um, who I was trying to have a conversation with, or deal with wow. the sin that I was trying to have a conversation with. So I wrote an open letter, right? Um, but with doing both of those, both times, exposing NDAs and writing the letter, now doing this podcast. People tell me all the time and have been for a while, Jeff, you're hurting the church. Mm-hmm. You're you're causing people to not come to the church. Well, the church isn't something people come to. Okay. <laughs> and I'm not hurting the church. What you mean is I hurt an organization. They lost some tithe money. They lost some volunteers. <laughs> they looked bad, right? What I'm doing is I'm not hurting the church. I'm mm-hmm. saying, hey, here's how you're mistreating the sheep in your pen. And I tried to talk to you about it quietly. But hmm. we're supposed to protect and equip the sheep, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There is no way you can justify using NDAs as being a way to protect and love and care for the sheep, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. There was no, a good shepherd never sends out a sheep with an NDA. <laughs> not only are you not a sheep here, you can't tell anybody that you were here. You can't tell anybody that we kicked you out of the mm-hmm. pen. You're, just, you're mm-hmm. on your own. You think about the prodigal son in scripture, right? Mm-hmm. He, he was coming home saying, I'll just tell my dad, I'd be better off being one of your servants if you'll just take me back. Mm-hmm. Okay, he didn't run to the dad. The dad ran to him. The dad yeah. was waiting on him because the dad never wanted to lose the sheep. He didn't force the sheep to stay in the pen, but he never wanted to lose the sheep to begin with, right? Yeah. We've lost sight of what it looks like to shepherd people because, again, the church is not a place. The church is not a possession. Mm-hmm. The church is not an event. The church is the people. We are the church together, and the real church it looks like Acts 2, 42 through like 43. 
right, where it says that um, they devoted themselves, the early church members devoted mm-hmm. themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the breaking of bread, and daily they were meeting in each other's homes, right? They were praying together. They were having meals together. It's not even about just it mentions them meeting in the temple, but it's not just about that. They were together. It also says this, which looks nothing like the church today. They were selling their possessions, sharing what they had so that no one had any needs. Because if you had a need, we take care of it. If we don't have the money to take care of it, we're going to sell some stuff, pull together to take care of it. So um, like right now as we're recording this podcast, and this won't be the case you know, once it comes out, but as we're recording this podcast, we had really bad storms in our area yesterday. Like mm-hmm. some really bad, some tornadoes, tearing roofs off houses, everything else, um, tearing fences down, all kinds of stuff like that, mm-hmm. right? Um, well, if we have that kind of damage in the church, what would the church look like? It would look mm-hmm. like people who didn't have damage going out to help the people who did have damage. Mm-hmm. It's helping the the guy who has his roof messed up and has five shingles off of his roof and needs, you know, other damage needs the roof to be replaced, mm-hmm. doesn't have the 10 grand to replace his roof. And it's, you know, a, a small group of believers around him who go, hey, let's just raise the 10 grand to replace his roof. And we're mm-hmm. going to pay one of our friends who is a Christian, who's a roofer, who's going to do it at cost, right? Yeah. That's what we're going to do. That's mm-hmm. what the church looks like. That's the real church to me. So let's kind of make a pivot. We talked yeah. about what the church is not. We yeah. talked about what we what we don't like in the way that people view the church that is dangerous. Where have you seen the real church show up and show out and just look, feel, and sound like Jesus? Isn't it so sad that I can't immediately give you 10 examples? Hmm. Uh, I mean... Yeah. Um, I had to prepare, and it took yeah. me like 30 <laughs> minutes of thinking about it, and then they started flowing, but it took a little while. Yeah. So uh, I've got an example. Uh, we were part of this, uh, um, you know you know where I'm going. Uh, we were part of this little church, um, you know, this little country church, and, I mean, I'm telling you, when you went to that church, you couldn't tell the difference between a homeless person and one of the congregants, you know, uh, and you go into that church and they were far from perfect. Um, you know, uh, definitely far from perfect. But when you went there, I've never been somewhere in my life that was so full of love. And I think to that point, um, when you do encounter the church, the real church, that you're encountering Christ, you're encountering the Holy Spirit, you're encountering everything. His presence comes with these people and yeah. these broken people yeah. that when you're there, you're all, you're in it together. And what's, it's, it's an experience. It's not just a relationship. It's yeah. not just a business dealing as in like partnerships. Like we're here for this purpose. Cause a lot of times when you meet as a church, um, then you're meeting for a purpose, which isn't wrong, but their purpose extended beyond like, let's have a worship service. Yes, there Mm -hmm. was a worship service and it was traditional and there was a lot of very boring ritualistic things (laughs) that were outdated, you know? Um, but after the service is over, and even during the service, but um, but when the service is over and before it begun, 
um, they wouldn't start on time because they were talking to each other, (laughs) you know, Um, and genuinely caring for each other. Um, There would be people sleeping on the back pews, uh, Mm. and the, the pastor would say, you know, no, 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 don't wake them up. This may be the only place of peace that they have, and to be in the peace of the presence. So what is changing? What does the church believe is changing people if we're really evangelistic? It's the presence of the Lord, and if people just need to sit and do their business on their phone, it drives me nuts because I am type A. I like being I like being a student. I like yep. listening and taking notes, and I am that person. So there's some judgment I fight against sometimes on people that are like over on their phone, you know. Versus I'm about taking me. notes on my phone, and right. I'm taking <laughs> like I'm getting God ideas as I'm going and I'm writing yeah. it down so I, I don't forget. Yeah. But I, I love yeah. this. A couple of things about just talking about the church. Yeah. One, they they're very obviously not perfect. Right. <laughs> they were they were not perfect, but they huh. they were loving, right? and it was hard. I mean, the relationships there were huh. very difficult at times, and I mean, you very far from perfect. Um, but I mean, it's hard to describe. I mean, mm-hmm. it's it's like once you became one of them, you were one of them, and there's still. They're still family. Um, I talked to one of the kids that was in the youth group yesterday, and but it's still family. And when we were getting off the phone, uh, he said, I love you, Buck. And I was already on another tangent. And he goes, hey, Buck, I love you. I love you, man. And I'm like, I love you too, man. Yeah. You know, and uh, but it's and when he says that he loves me, it's like, that's weird, you know, man to man. <laughs> like, I love you, bro. You know, but it's like. But he I tell means guys it. I love him all the time. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, he he means it like wholeheartedly. And but that was, I mean, as hard as it was, um, you know, as hard as those relationships were, were the the love was pure. And the the and funny they would meet each other's needs too, like mm. you were talking about. They this was the type of church that if um if they said okay we're so and so just brought a need for their light bill. They can't pay for their light bill, um, which is pretty common. Um, And, you know, so we're going to take up an offering. Well, first of all... Not gossip about why they couldn't pay their light bill. Right, yeah. No, that didn't even matter. People have hard times and there was no judgment. Yeah. And um, so... Uh, and if the church verified them and was willing to help them, it, it usually also meant that they would do well with this money, yeah. you know. So there was yeah. a stamp of approval on that for mm-hmm. that point. But um, this church did not have people bringing in tithes very much because a lot of people didn't have money that they were mm-hmm. making yeah. um, to tithe. But they would bring what they had, the pennies that they'd had. We had homeless people bring their money and what yeah. they had and put it in the offering plate to help somebody who had a home turn their lights on. I mean, it's just when you're the real church, the real church, I think that's what it looks like. It is protected by the Lord and it is about the Lord's presence being among each other. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and then you're not selfish at that point because it everything is the Lord's. Yeah. Um, and I see a huge difference. A big part of this though is it wasn't in an affluent community. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I really, our experience has been when you start getting into an affluent community, 
they suddenly don't feel like they need anything from anyone. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pride. You're and and they're more like sheeple in in the negative way of using yeah. sheep, um, because they want to just they want to belong, so they want to do what's right. They want to act right. When mm-hmm. you're in a non-affluent mm-hmm. place, they they don't have anything to do but rely on each other, but to have community um, because they have to. Yeah. And the Lord just. I think he's so present there. Maybe that's mm-hmm. why we're supposed to continue to go out and serve these people yeah. because that is where Jesus is and we learn something from yeah. them. Yeah. Well, Jesus had something to say about the woman who, you know, gave like a tenth of a penny, the widow yeah. gave her might. She gave more than everybody else, not because she gave more in the amount, but because she gave what she had. Mm-hmm. I believe that that church, when they're people who didn't have much were giving for each other's needs. They gave a lot more than the ones who give 10% in the offering plate, give 5% offering, and then give to the above and beyond offering, whatever you call it, because there's like 2,000 names for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you go to a big church, likely if you go to a big evangelical church, especially if it's multi-site, at least one time a year, they're asking for your money above and beyond for expansion, mm-hmm. uh, miracles, whatever. Uh, Building right? fun. So you, you're doing all those things. You can be given less than a person who didn't have much was never even tithing yet. Every time they heard of a need, they were given to it. Right. And we're going to talk about, it's not that I don't believe in tithing. We're going to talk about that on a whole another episode. Like the, you know, um, mm-hmm. I want, don't want to give the title away. It'll make people mad. And, um, you know, they won't be able to be surprised by it. But, um, <laughs> so I think that's a part of it. Yeah. But also like when you guys talked about the church, here's what I noticed. Buck, as soon as you started talking about the church, you started tearing up like heavily. And then, so Abby takes over because you're kind of getting emotional and then she starts tearing up <laughs> and then y'all are both tearing up, like eyes getting heavy talking about this church. That's what the church is. We care for each other so much that I couldn't imagine as a Christian living life without my brothers and sisters. It would be like living life without my right arm because we're the body of Christ. And if I don't have my brothers and sisters, it's like I've lost a limb. It's like I'm an amputee, right? Yeah. And I can't imagine that. And I'm going to have phantom pain because I'm still going to feel pain in that arm that I've lost, right? Mm-hmm. That's the way we should feel about the church. When you ask someone about the church, we should all tear up the way that you guys did and said, let me tell you mm-hmm. about my brothers and sisters. But instead, mm-hmm. because the church has become a place, an event, uh, a political mm-hmm. angle for many of us, then we get manipulated, we get hurt. And then when we get yeah. hurt, we get traumatized. When you think about the church, instead, rage builds, mm-hmm. and people say, I don't ever want any part of the church. Even people who still yeah. believe in Jesus, I don't ever want any part of the mm-hmm. church. And what they're doing, like I say this to someone who's been deeply church yeah. hurt, if we deconstruct, but we don't reconstruct our faith, or if we keep our faith, but we yeah. we leave the church entirely because mm-hmm. we say, man, I got hurt there, and I don't want to go back. I get that. That makes perfect sense. But when we do that, you'll have pain for the rest of your life like a phantom limb. Like, I don't have this yeah. arm anymore, yet I still feel it hurting, mm-hmm. right? Because we were created for something better. So pastors, think about this. When people talk about your church, are they tearing up legitimately mm-hmm. because the way they've been cared for, because the way that they're known, or are they telling people about the latest entertaining thing that you did you on know, stage? And it was the reality, just more than anything, of the relationships. And the relationships, uh, you know, not to be fake at all or you know, look back on it wistfully or like the first love, uh, you know, uh, or romanticize it. That's the word I'm looking for. That It was hard. 
the people yeah. that were hard, and they would say I was hard. You know, I mean, I was young, arrogant, new Christian. I was very difficult we to deal with. We had all the answers, and we were there to help them yeah, or we, we to thought, fix them. <laughs> we, we thought came. we were going to fix them. They, they were our project when we showed up. Like when we showed up, uh, we looked at them as a project, and and they got mad at us. And for some reason, God said, no, that's where you're called to. And uh, we just kept going. And, you know, so it's, uh, you know, I, I think I hurt, you know, even in our church now, I hurt because— I see so much opportunity to love people. Yeah. And people are too busy, you know, driving their kids around to soccer practice. And, but it's yeah. like everywhere you go, you, we live in a community and we, we have community around us and we see the same people every Sunday, but there's no real intimacy. And, you know, it's one of the things, um, I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to me a long time ago was how can we claim to have intimacy with Christ when we don't have intimacy with his body? Mm. And so we're not creating true intimate relationships, and it's really difficult um, in in the large country clubs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and I use that term for what it's worth, but but it's it's real difficult to have true relationships and deep, meaningful relationships. And everybody's so busy... You know, in its busyness. I mean, uh, there was a book uh, Abby made me read a long time ago, and it was, uh, "If the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy." Yeah. And so, busyness is like the biggest enemy of quality and intimacy. And um, we can we can just be so busy that that we lose our life. Yeah. That book was Spiritual Disciplines by Richard Foster. Uh, I've got it on that bookshelf right there. <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah, I was I was wondering if that was the actual if that was the actual name of it. Yeah, that that bookshelf the over way, there. It's yeah. on the bookshelf. Um, that was a seminary required reading. You know, I think we, when you talk about it, you mentioned a couple of times that the relationships weren't easy, and at times, you know, it was their fault, and at times it's very clear it was y'all's fault. Like you came in wanting to you know fix them like a project because mm-hmm. the older I get, the less I trust people who always have answers. Which is why our podcast, <laughs> one of kind of our general rules is, is we don't give easy Christian easy answers. We would rather give you guidelines. We'd rather give yeah. you guiding principles than answers. Cause we're not even going to agree on the answers, but you said those relationships were hard at times that you were rough and they were rough. Well, I think about it and I've said this on the podcast before, but scripture says as iron sharpens iron. So one man sharpens another, mm-hmm. you cannot sharpen iron without sparks, not only sparks. Mm-hmm. How do you sharpen iron? You sharpen iron by literally grinding away old pieces so that what is remaining mm-hmm. is sharp. You have two pieces that grind together, and, and they both lose something. Mm-hmm. It hurts. We've lost the ability for a lot of Christians to disagree with each other, to have mm-hmm. discourse even on places like Facebook with each other around the kitchen mm-hmm. table. We're only around people we feel like agree with us, and the moment you don't agree, now we're not friends. Mm-hmm. We've lost this ability, and we think every time there are sparks, every time that people disagree, that we're being divisive. Mm-hmm. And we'll go back mm-hmm. and we're saying, you're causing disunity in the church, right? Jesus said they'll know you by your love for one another. Jesus prayed for our unity, yet Jesus didn't always seek unity the way that we think we, that he would seek unity. He, you know, he flipped tables. He caused sparks. He caused mm-hmm. people to walk away for reasons. And he even said this, I love this. And this is another podcast episode we're going to do soon. Um, we got some really cool theology 
mm-hmm. episodes coming up. Um, but we're going to talk about one where we talk about the tensions in Scripture. Yeah, Jesus said a lot about unity, and he prayed that we would be unified as the church. Yet he also said, "Do you think that I've uh, that I've come to bring unity? No, I've come to bring division. Mm-hmm. I've come to bring a sword. I've come mm-hmm. to you know turn father against mother and brother against brother and right. And, and he talks about I've come to divide. Right. Mm-hmm. Both things are true. That Jesus prayed for unity, wants unity, seeks unity, and asks us to do the same. And at times he's called us to be mm-hmm. divisive and he divided and we got to figure out how to hold those things together. But again, that's another podcast all to itself. I just say that to say sometimes the best Christian relationships and the best expressions of the church are when we're able to disagree mm-hmm. vehemently and still love one another and mm-hmm. learn in the process. Neither one of us should finish that disagreement staying the same because we both lost something, but we've gained sharpness. We've gained clarity out of it. Well, and there's such a big difference um, between me being offensive and you taking offense. Mm-hmm. And so we we so much of the time now we look at somebody or we hear somebody say something we don't agree with, and we think that person's being offensive. But the truth is that we're the ones taking offense at what someone says, whether it's politics, whether it's church speak, whatever it is. It's So when I get offended over something, it's my responsibility to first and foremost to look at myself and see why it offended me and yeah. see why I got offended. And sometimes it's somebody's being offensive. And, you know, so at that point, it's okay. But, you know, or I don't know if it's okay. But. Sometimes it's uh, someone was sinning. Someone was hurting someone else. Like mm-hmm. when I got offended at the church, I didn't get offended because I had a spirit of offense. I got offended mm-hmm. because what they were doing didn't look like Jesus and it was hurting people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I tested that first. But the mm-hmm. only time we talk about offense in the church generally is when we're saying, hey, uh, you're mad at us over something. You're trying to call us the carpet over something. You're trying to correct something. Don't take up a spirit of offense. The church uses offense as a mute button to shut up people and to shut down people mm-hmm. who are, are trying to bring concerns when instead yeah. we should be talking about offense. We should be talking about, hey, how we can disagree. And it's okay. You can be offended in a moment and not stay in a spirit of offense, not stay yeah. offended at your brother. And we got some podcast hosts on this podcast that we could not agree less on some very serious things. Um, and we'll argue and then we'll end and we'll laugh and just go agree to disagree because we're not going to change each other's mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yet we love each other deeply, right? Yeah. Paul and Barnabas didn't agree on everything. Paul and John Mark didn't agree on everything. Paul and Apollos didn't agree on everything, right? Beyond that, man, I, I mean, Jesus didn't agree with a lot of the things that were going on around him. The apostles mm. didn't agree with each other. We don't have to agree. And then Paul talks about certain yeah. sins, you know, In Scripture, certain things are black and white. Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer most things are less black and white in Scripture than we think they are. Mm -hmm. They're much more gray. There's always a tension there. Mm -hmm. Again, another podcast episode. Mm -hmm. But Paul actually says with certain things like eating meat sacrificed to idols. That was a big issue in his day. Mm -hmm. Today it may be something like getting tattoos or it may be something around sexuality. I don't don't know, right? But he's talking to the Corinthians about it, and he said, y'all are fighting over whether or not you should eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols. And he goes, hey, I'm just going to tell you where I'm at in my life. And I'm paraphrasing for Paul, but where I'm at in my life, free meat. Like (laughs) I'm a bivocational pastor. I own my own business. I'm going from town to town as a tent maker. So you give me free meat. I'm going to pray 
to the real God. I'm going to pray to the God of this universe and thank him for that meat that was sacrificed to idols. And I'm going to eat that up. And I have no problem with it. He said, some of you though, three weeks ago, you were worshiping idols. So for you eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, that feels, then that feels like idol worship to you and you can't do it. And that's okay. Both are okay. I'll take that free meat all day long. And you feel like it's idol worship. Now, Instead of disagreeing about it and arguing about it, what if I just ate the meat because the Holy Spirit is telling me that's okay, and y'all don't eat the meat because the Holy Spirit's telling you you don't need to do it because of where you're at? Because instead of having a right and wrong, black and white for everybody, let's just say that something can be right for me and not right for you in the moment because we're coming from different places and we can trust the Holy Spirit in us. Beyond that, he says, you know what? Even more so than not arguing about it, how about those of us that are a little farther along, like me, eating my meat. How about I'll eat that meat and not feel bad about it at all, but I'll never eat it in front of someone who has a conscience issue with it because why Mm. would I cause my brother to stumble? We're the church. We're brothers. We're sisters. So if I know you have an issue with it, I'm just not going to do it in front of you. It's kind of like the person who says, you know, so if I said to you, you know, Buck, Abby, um, hey, I really like whiskey, Mm -hmm. right? True story. I really like a good bourbon, okay? So I like bourbon. And then one of you says, no, alcohol is a sin. Drinking is a sin. You shouldn't be drunk on wine and said you should be mm-hmm. drunk with the Holy Spirit. And I go, Hey, I'm not getting drunk. I just like a good bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. We could argue over whether that's right or wrong. We could argue over drunk or not. Cause you got the whole, you know, the non-alcohol side that goes alcohol in the, uh, old new Testament alcohol in biblical times was not like it is today. It was basically fermented grape juice. And you would have had to have, you, you could barely have drank enough to get drunk. Funny. Cause Noah got drunk. And when Jesus was at the wedding where he turned water into wine, the master of ceremony said, oh, most people wait until everybody gets sloshed and then they bring out the bad stuff. You know, you save the good stuff for last when people can't even appreciate it, right? So, um, but we had people who will say that and then you got others who were like, no, I can drink whatever I want as long as I'm gonna get drunk. What if instead we simply said, oh, the moment I find out that you have an issue with drinking, I get curious. Why do you have an issue with drinking? Well, it's probably not because scripture says don't be drunk with wine. It's probably because either you have an alcoholic in your family history, like my wife has alcoholism in her family history, so she won't touch alcohol. Mm -hmm. I like alcohol, okay? We're still married, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. She just doesn't drink it, okay? Mm -hmm. That's it, right? And if I'm drinking it, I don't get to kiss her. It's kind (laughs) of until I brush my teeth. She doesn't like smell of alcohol, right? Mm -hmm. But if I find out why either you've had alcoholism in your family Mm -hmm or you were an alcoholic. When I first got saved for about 10 years, I couldn't drink anything because man, I was drug and alcohol addicted when I got saved. Mm -hmm. Then God delivered me from it. Right. And it was, it was, it was kind of like a changing moment. But if I get curious, there's a reason why you're against alcohol. There's Mm -hmm. a reason you have that conviction. So if I get curious, I find out. And then when I realize you have a legitimate conviction against alcohol, then I'm just, when you're over, I'm not going to pull out the bourbon. When we're at dinner together, I'm not going to order, you know, a drink, right? I'm going I'm to have a Coke. I'm going to have water. I'm going to have something else because you, you matter to me. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm still going to have a drink with my friends who drink, and I'm still going to have a drink from time mm-hmm. to time myself. You know, there are people who right now are like, oh, my gosh, Jeff drinks. You add that to the other things you did. We're going to stop listening to the podcast. That's okay. Disqualified. We'll, we'll pick up the Christians <laughs> who drink. It's fine, <laughs> right? But what yeah. I, with the point I'm getting at is that yeah. Paul said, hey, it's okay for us to have these disagreements and get curious with one another. We don't always have to agree even on what the Bible says to live in harmony with one another. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, Mm -hmm. 
yeah, it, it's so true. And, and sometimes we just abstain from whatever it is just to honor the person. It, it's a way to love the person you're in the room with. Uh, you know, so sometimes we just abstain as a way to honor and love somebody. Yeah. And, you know, and, oh, man. And sometimes you don't abstain to honor and love someone. So, mm-hmm. for instance, um, I'm going to be careful when, you know, when my wife's around, even if I am drinking, I'm not going to drink more than a couple of drinks because it's just going to make her feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Right. I could abstain. Like I would ask my, my you know youngest son, he loves country music. I would ask him out of love for me to abstain from playing that crap right? <laughs> while I'm around. Right. But at the same yeah. time, there are times where he, he says, Hey dad, can I turn on the radio in your car? And I'm like, you're going to turn it to country. And he's like, yeah, is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, because I love you. I'm going to listen to something I don't want to listen to mm-hmm. because I can't always tell you no, right? No. That That's not what love is. Well, it's the same thing. And again, I'm going mm-hmm. to say something. So many people are going to disagree with this. Um, I, I can count it all the time. It's just going to be a front door and a back door of people who, if you're listening to this podcast, it's okay that we don't agree, right? It's okay. You can keep coming back if we don't agree. Um, but this is potentially going to lose some people. There are certain friends that I have who I would never ever cuss around. I'm not going to say words that even aren't cuss words that are just edgy because part of their conviction yeah. is they want to be holy and pure in the way they talk. Now, mm-hmm. I know what scripture says about the way we talk, okay? I have a different interpretation of it than some people do, okay? Most Christians don't agree. There's a lot of different variations of that. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there are certain words that I'll say and I'll say on the podcast because I think they're okay. Now, if you're listening to the podcast, I'm not going to stop it just because you disagree because part of this podcast is we're going to disagree. I, I may be saying that that specific way because I believe the Holy Spirit's asking me to say that for someone else who needs to hear it that way, okay? Mm-hmm. But when I'm just with my friends, if i got a friend who's got issues with coarse language, I'm not even going to say, like, you know, crap. I'm just not. I don't have to, right? Mm-hmm. I've got other friends, though, that part of me loving them is I talk a little more edgy because that's the way that they talk. And it doesn't mean they don't love Jesus. Some of them don't even know Jesus yet. And I talk a little more edgy. I don't change who I am, but I'm not scared to say certain things, right? So again, I think we can abstain out of love, you know, um, but also we can give in out of love. Like, you know, my son can, it's simple, super simple, ridiculous illustration. He can abstain from listening to country music on a day because he knows I don't want to listen to it. And I can also say, hey, let's listen to country music. I can say, let me take you to um, a country music concert that you want to go to and go mm-hmm. and enjoy it, even though I don't like country music. Because if you ask, you're my son. I care about you. We've got to learn that give and take, submit to one another a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't mean there's not black and white in Scripture, but everything is not black and white, something we need to fight over. So one time um, I'm sitting down with my dad for dinner, and we went out, and my dad's an alcoholic. And we always were always like, you know, you shouldn't drink with an alcoholic or whatever. So I sit down with my dad for dinner and I order a beer and he looks at me and goes, you drink? And I'm like, well, yeah, I have a beer every now and then, you know? And so I sit there and have a drink with my dad. That's an alcoholic. And I can't tell you what that did for our relationship because all of a sudden, you know, I was, he always looked at me as the goody goody son, you know, the one that was doing things and judging with their the life time. and judging him all the time. And mm-hmm. so he just felt judged by me and, uh, which that was never my intent, but me having a beer with him did more for our relationship 
than anything I've ever done with my father. And it, because all of a sudden it allowed him to be himself around me. And so it really, it even opened up the door for the gospel in his life and, and for just for love. And so, and it was eye opening to me. Mm-hmm. I was having a rough day that day. I drank a beer with him. And so I was just like, I, I wanted to get back. I wanted a beer that day. And, uh, because at, in the past, I never would have drank around him. And well, uh, you thought by you not drinking, you would fix his alcoholism. Yeah. It's never going to happen. Yeah, I didn't want to encourage it. You know, like I didn't, I felt like by drinking with him, I was encouraging him. So I would always, if he was coming over, I'd put up the beer, yeah. <laughs> you know. Let or, me hide the fact that I drink from my alcoholic father. <laughs> Instead of, now it would be different if he was a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. And you were doing mm-hmm. that to protect him. Yeah. But if he's an alcoholic, then the day that you drank the beer with him, now when you said, Dad, I'm worried about you. I think you drink too much. Yeah. Right? Well, now he's going to listen to you because you're not just against alcohol. You drink. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you're saying, hey, I think this is a little bit too much. Did you get drunk that day? No. Did you sin that day? No. Did you lose control? Because that's what debauchery means. You know, don't be drunk with wine, but it leads to debauchery. Did you lose control? Absolutely not. Okay. Yeah. So you didn't sin. All you did was you you gained the ability to speak even mm-hmm. discipline and concern into your dad's life. Mm-hmm. Right? I just believe, and again, I could be wrong. This is my opinion. This is not Bible. But I believe that Jesus would have a lot more beers with people than we think. Yeah. I just believe he would. Yeah, it, 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 you're absolutely right. And it's just, and I just cannot emphasize enough the change in my relationship with him when, uh, because it tore down walls. Like, and it just tore down walls between us. And, uh, and I think a lot, of, a lot of those walls I didn't even realize were there. You know, um, and so, but I, I saw a change in the way he spoke with me, the way he dealt with me, every bit of that. I just saw a change when I had a beer with him and it wasn't for that. It wasn't for that purpose. But so there are some times, you know, you know, we have to meet people where they are, you know? So when you go back to Jesus calling Peter, he wasn't sitting in a synagogue waiting for Peter to come to a synagogue to call him. He walked out to the shore where the man was working and called out to him. And so we as as Christians need to meet people where they are. And yeah. However, and, I do want to say that um that doesn't mean that every time somebody else is drinking, that you then have a drink yeah. so you can reach them. Yeah. So yeah. The, I'm not getting drunk right. so I can reach my friends who get drunk. <laughs> yeah. Right. Don't don't use this so, as justification to go get drunk. The, you know. Or, sometimes yeah. when I'm out with friends, my wife will literally say, uh, "Hey, don't try to keep up with them." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the point being is that the Holy Spirit tells us every right. time, every situation, every person, every interaction, what they need. And the Holy Spirit knows their heart, knows our heart, where we are, where they are. And if we are the church, meaning, and and that could mean that we're just listening to the Holy Spirit for everything. And if we're literally just led in every relationship, every interaction by the Spirit, then we are going to naturally just be His hands and feet like 
the church yeah. is supposed to be. And there are, I think there are times there is an organization of church where we do need some kind of some guidelines, some rules, some boundaries. The Lord was yeah. very, very particular about protecting his people mm-hmm. and keeping them pure. That's why is it Ananias who lied mm-hmm. about the money was dissolved. Yeah. The, the sin with Ananias and Spyro wasn't that they didn't give enough. It was that they wanted credit. They were just trying to lie about it, yeah. saying we mm-hmm. gave more. But that's the key, Abby. Mm-hmm. What you said, is that is so powerful. You hit the nail on the head. The organization, the Bible is very clear about the organization and the order within the church because it's to protect people. It's mm-hmm. always to protect people. Yet today, the most organized, the most organized churches, organized. the ones with the most order, um, the, the biggest organizations, it's the organization that's actually harming people and we've mm-hmm. we've missed the point of order and organization mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're trying to protect the donors <laughs> i mean and we're trying to protect the the we're trying to protect the business of church and if we get back to it but you know the church the church is the people it's it's the bride of christ yep you know and i think that that's one of the things is the lord's really been working in my life is is that your, you know, continues to bring me back to is that we're the bride of Christ, which is weird That's to right. think about as a man. Like, how am I supposed to be a bride? Uh, but it's, um, but that I'm the bride of Christ. And, you know, scripture says that he's coming back for a pure and spotless bride. And, that's crazy because I see where we are as the universal church, as as the gathering and, and as believers, mm-hmm. and I'm like, how can where we are ever become what Scripture says he's coming back for? Yeah. And that's one of those things, and it's like, okay, Lord, where's my part in that, you know? I can tell you this. I'm going to be a little salty here. The pure <laughs> and spotless bride he's coming back for is not full of people holding NDAs. <laughs> it's just not. Couldn't let that one slide. So it's it's funny because with this conversation, people who don't know us, um, some people who don't know us could listen to this and like, man, they've talked about drinking. You know, they've talked about not marching at pride parades. They talked about all these things, mm-hmm. and there are people who just know us from the podcast who are going to go, God, these guys are a bunch of liberals. They're a bunch <laughs> of raging liberals. You know, who don't read their Bible. When the funny thing is, is anybody who does know us would say about all of us. Y'all are some seriously conservative people, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) Um, But when we're having a kingdom conversation, Mm -hmm. the politics jumps out of it, and the conversation sounds almost liberal because it's kingdom conversation. Now, I have some friends who are self-proclaimed hyper-liberals, and they would say, Jeff, no, I'm listening to the podcast right now, and y'all aren't liberal at all. I'm still concerned, (laughs) right? But that's that's what the kingdom should look like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We should never be able to fit into a liberal or a conservative box. We're having these conversations that almost feel like they're at odds with each other yeah. because we're, we're trying to follow Jesus, trying to follow the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I want to do this before we you know, finish out the podcast. This will be kind of the way that we land the plane, maybe a long landing, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about, and y'all may come up with some other examples, I want to talk about some examples and just get your thoughts on them, places where I've seen the real church show up yeah. for us. For us, for other people, some of these aren't just, you know, for me. Some of these I've been a part of. Some of them, they're stories that have nothing to do with me. Um, but I've got some. I don't know how many we'll get through. But again, I'm just going to share it. And y'all stop me at any time that you have thoughts because I, I really want to paint a picture. This is what the real church looks like. This is what being yeah. the hands and feet of Jesus looks like. And none of these 
are organizational. I could give organizational examples. Mm -hmm. So like, hear me, I'm not saying that an organization of the church, the organization itself can't ever do things that look like the real church. I'm not saying that at all. Um, the organization does some really good things, but I want to focus on the things that aren't tied to the organization at all, because I think they're pure. I think they're spotless. You know, even, um, scripture talks about uh, pure and faultless religion is this taking care of widows mm-hmm. and orphans. It's when we actually care for each other. So, um, this one is close to home. And I think I mentioned on the podcast before, but, um, you know, my wife months ago, uh, lost her job at a church that she was working at a church that I had worked at, um, was really forced out. And, and, you know, I'm not going to get into why, but basically there were, there were some reasons that we didn't agree with. They forced her out. Mm-hmm. It was something that caught her by surprise. And they handed her an NDA that said, Hey, we'll give you a severance. And they, they had this big spiel. We want to take care of your family. We want to support your family in this trying time, which is really funny because they were causing the trying time. Okay. But they had this big spill of support. We want to support you. So here's the severance. Okay. And you know, the severance was going to give her some time without a job. It would not have actually covered the time she was without a job. Okay. Now they, they saved that for people they were really scared of. Okay. Hmm. That they really thought knew too much. Okay. Uh, But they offered her the severance. She says, no. Like she comes home, we pray about it, and we're just like, "Hey, no, we we decided a long time ago that we didn't believe NDAs belonged in the church." So she didn't sign it, and they tried to get her to sign it again. They said, "But seriously, we want to support your family. We want to take care of you." And she looked at one of the executive pastors and said, "It's not support when it has strings attached to it, mm-hmm. right?" Yeah. So anyway, she turns down this NDA, which means that day that she didn't sign it, they sent her home. They were going to let her work three more weeks. Okay, she's a therapist. She was going to see out her patients. They said, we're not even letting you see your patients. We're not even letting you close out well with your patients, which is highly unethical. But we're not going to do that. We're sending you home because if you didn't sign this NDA, we got to be scared of you now. Why? Mm-hmm. The only thing she had done was she told a couple of people who asked the truth that she got fired, but the narrative of, me getting, of her getting fired made the church look bad. So you don't sign the NDA, you're out. And now we don't have a church family. Mm-hmm. We don't have her income. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm a business owner. So it, what that means is sometimes I got a lot of income. Sometimes I have no income. Right. Yeah. That's just how it works. Um, so we don't have any of that, but we did what we thought was right. Probably it, it would take two hands to be able to count the amount of people who did this. Some as small as $50, some as much as a thousand dollars. But over the next two and a half months while she was without a job before God bless her with incredible jobs, um, the next two and a half months, we would have people when we didn't even think we had a need. And when we thought everything was okay, mm-hmm. um, we'd have people who would just send us. Like we had someone Venmo us $50. Hey, what's this for? God just put you on my heart, right? We had someone send us $1,000 and they said, hey, we sent you a check. We just want you to know, don't mail it back, cash it, no strings attached. <laughs> and we said, well, you know, why? And, and my wife was worried. She literally said, I'm about to take an annual girls trip that I paid for like, a year ago and we're going to the beach. I want to be able to post pictures and I don't want you to think I took your money to use it for the beach. And the person literally said, if that's what you need right now, Mm. go to the beach. I wouldn't even care, but thanks for letting me know. Use this for whatever you need. Right. We had someone else send us like $500 and we said, we don't need money right now. And they were just like sending us cash at Venmo, whatever. And they said, that's okay. God didn't tell me you needed it. God told me to give it. Right. Mm-hmm. But almost every time someone sent us something, something would happen unexpected right after that, where God knew our need before. Yeah. I say all this to say that God used a bunch of people with random gifts, big and small, to pay our severance, sexually pay more than the severance she would have gotten from the church. Wow. So the organization 
says no severance unless you uh, only tell our story, unless you lie. You sign this NDA. You don't sign the NDA. We're going to kick you out. It's like you're dead to us. But the people of the church, including people who go to the church that basically mm-hmm. kicked us out, they took care of us and provided the severance. And that was so, I mean, that was the hands and feet of Jesus to us. Yeah. I'll never yeah. forget it. I will never yeah. forget the people. I will never forget the person, because it wasn't just about the money. I will never in my life forget the person who sent us $50 for a date night. And they even included a joke because they thought, hey, you need a date night. And the joke was this. I'm not going to say this person's name, you know, to protect them. But they they found out that she had gotten fired. And part of the reason she gotten fired was because the leadership thought there was disunity between me and them, although we had not had any conversations about it. Right. So my wife gets fired, comes home and tells me the reason I got fired is because of you. So we're, we're not in a great place that night. <laughs> plus, we're not getting the severance that night. We get fifty dollars from someone on Venmo with the tagline that says, have a date night to work on the disunity between your family and leadership. <laughs> ha ha. And I'm telling you, it wasn't a big gift. Yeah. It wasn't for anything in particular. Yeah. It didn't cover any needs. But a person who just thought about us and said, go take a date night because I know life's hard right now. I love you. Yeah. And then sent a text a, a few hours later, hey, have you seen what I sent you in Venmo? And I'm like, no, because I don't even, like, I didn't even have my notifications turned on for it. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the church. Yeah. And I will never forget that $50 because it meant the world to me. Mm-hmm. Amen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's what the church is. I mean, that that's really, that's the reality of the church. And I think um, one of my burdens, um, you know, as, you know, as we've moved on in life and moved from, you know, a place of, you know, being broke all the time, you know, young business owner to, to being a little bit more successful in business than that is that I, I look at my peers now and I hurt for my peers that have never experienced the relationship of the church and have never experienced the love of Christ through through his body because it is hard, it is difficult, but but it's worthwhile. Yeah. Like it is one of the most worthwhile. I don't know if I'd cry like that at her funeral. Uh, <laughs> that's Maybe a joke. You shouldn't have said that. That's a joke. But anyway, but but it's so it's so worthwhile, and because it's pure love from people that don't have to love you, mm-hmm. but that choose to love you. And the other church people, they, they saw me for who I was. They knew how much I sucked as a human being and they saw my faults. And sometimes they told me about them. And, uh, but it was from a place of love. And, and so the offense, I mean, it was, we had such an opportunity to be offended if we wanted to. And sometimes I got offended, but um, uh, thank God that he gave me a partner that didn't let me get stuck in offense. Yeah. But it's, um, but I heard for people that haven't ever experienced the love of the body of Christ. Like you just said, it's in people reaching out and just loving you because they chose to. Yeah. What, mm-hmm. what hurts me even more this grieves me to the depth of my soul. There are people who have not only never experienced the body of Christ like that, but their deepest felt experience mm. with the church was spiritual abuse. 
yeah. and trying to tell them how life-giving the real church is, it's yeah. almost impossible mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because they have no framework to understand it. So here's, I don't even tell them anymore. Here's what I feel like God's called me to do. Instead of telling them, I just become the framework I want them to see. Yeah. I become the church I want them to see. And we've even got, you know, um, Sarai Miller on the podcast, you know, one of our podcast hosts, she said, hey, you know, when, when we first started talking, you know, the first conversation we ever had, I was talking about preaching at an event. And she says, oh, I don't go to church. I want no part of God. And I thought I was going to get upset. And instead, I just started talking about other things. And she said, you loved me. And you you very clearly could see I was coming from a place of hurt. And you didn't try to change me. Mm-hmm. right? And I, Because in that moment, it was like, I can't, t- I can't explain to you in words what the real church looks like and how much I want you to experience what I've experienced. I can just try to be that in like a little small way in the conversation right now. Um, but a couple of other things. I'm just going to go through some of these and stop me. Yeah. I do have um I do have a story real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so God has put together this uh ragtag group of mothers. Um I do a line dancing class at my house. Um haven't done okay. it in the last couple months. It's been a little crazy, but um but so we ended up with a this group of of mothers. Um and um some are from Cal a lot are from California actually. I'd say yeah. n- I'm the only person that really has family that is in town because there's so many people moving into the area. Yeah. So, um, and they probably didn't have a lot of line dancing in California. <laughs> they so probably that's didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Cause they really like it. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but anyway, so they're this group that's just there for line dancing. I mean, and some of them know each other, um, more than I know them, but we have developed this, we're not necessarily friends on the level that we're talking to each other every day, sharing about this or that. We may only share once a month at the line dancing class, you know, how's it going? And we're relating. Um, But when somebody has a need, when somebody can sense and tell somebody's going through a hard time, because none of these people are fake. None of nobody's putting on a face. Of course you don't need to. It's a line dancing class. Um, It's kind of odd regardless. So, um, but it's very common for one of them to reach out to the other one and say, let me watch your kids. You mm-hmm. need something. If you just let me watch your kids, I have this in this time available yeah. all the time. And, and I think that is a way that as, cause we, um, most, I think most everybody is a Christian, um, and is a believer in the group. Um, though that's not a requirement, but, uh, and we're all from different backgrounds. I don't even know what, church everybody goes yeah. to um but they're being the church we're all being the church to each other because we care um and maybe that's the thing maybe the church we don't know how to really care about each other and mm-hmm. we also don't know how to receive it um mm-hmm. but in in this example just looking out for each other and and a lot of times because there is the pride issue and it's hard to ask for help and all this mm-hmm. stuff and people have been hurt and you know we have issues um, so just to be proactive and say, no, I insist, bring me your children, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, because I know you need a break. I don't care you if you go and sit in the parking lot. I just said, I want to give you a break because yes. you're a stay-at-home mom. Yeah. Because we're moms and we understand what life yeah. is like, you know, so you don't have to find out if somebody has this deep need. Um, you can just offer and and the Holy Spirit's the one that brings it to your mind a lot of times. And you just, and, and it's acting on those small promptings that seem almost ridiculous sometimes, but they're never ridiculous. And especially Mm -hmm. not to the people that 
Because that mom who's at her wit's end because she's been with, she's not been with only adults or by herself in a month, right? Mm -hmm. That, you know, hey, someone's going to watch my kid and I can just go like do something by myself in silence. Like, Mm -hmm. man, how powerful is that? But the problem is a lot of times in organizational church, there's a bottom line to worry about. There's a bottom line of salaries. There's a bottom line of what we want to accomplish. There's a bottom line of how we want our services to look and feel. And it's hard to care about people and the bottom line at the same time. So we oscillate. Some churches just care about the bottom line, but most of them oscillate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when it's something like your line dancing class, there is no bottom line. Nope. Like we're just, we're line dancing. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what there is, right? So mm-hmm. um, I'm going to give you, I don't even know which ones I'm going to give you here, but just stop me um, if any of these, like something sticks out to you. But, um, <laughs> you know, we, we had some friends who a couple of years ago, a uh, dear couple close to us, I think you guys actually know them, but um, they lost their six-year-old, I believe, son mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, there's probably about four other couples, about eight people and our kids that honestly for months we lived at their house or they lived at ours. Mm-hmm. We were just every couple of days we were around each other. And if we weren't all together, we were taking food, we were doing something. Um, and it was simply because we knew what they were going through. We had no idea what they were going through, mm-hmm. but we knew they needed people. Yeah. Right. And we literally changed our lives and our schedules and our seasons to be around each other. And that group still today, most of us don't see each other very often. We don't all even live in the same state yet. We'll call each other Mm -hmm. anytime there's a need, like we are there for each other because we were the church in that season. Um, I had simple things like, you know, a friend who let another friend borrow a car for six weeks because they had an extra car. Mm-hmm. And this family needed a car. Um, we had two separate couples, four people, okay, who drove from anywhere between two and eight hours away to come see us when we were going through significant church hurt for no other reason than we want to come see you and support you and encourage you. And to mm-hmm. look you at one of them, drove about two and a half hours just to look me in the eye and say, I know you're going to tell me you don't need anything, but how are your finances? Do you need something? Hey, we're okay. We're okay. Okay. Can you promise me while I'm here, and I'm not leaving your house till you promise me, if you get in a bind, you can't pay your bills, you're going to call me, mm. right? That was the church. Mm. When someone's traveling to come see you for mm. a couple-hour conversation just because they mm. know you're hurting, mm-hmm. that yeah. is the church. Um, there was a pastor that I'm actually friends with now. I didn't even know him when we went through our last bout of church hurt, and I posted about you know NDAs and why we didn't sign the NDA, and... I know there was a lot of stuff that I was saying at the time that he was like, who is this guy? Most pastors were scared to death of us because man, if you're mm-hmm. flaming one church, why are you going to flame all of them? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there are still pastors who were scared. They don't know what this podcast is. They're still waiting on the other shoe to drop. Like we're just going to flame people. Yeah. And we're really not. But this one pastor, I don't, didn't even know him, had no relationship with him. And every few days he checked on me via Facebook messenger and just said, how are you? How can I pray for you today? I'm so sorry. Y'all are going through this. Wow. Dude, like it wow. started a friendship. Because mm-hmm. I had to get to know this guy in real life because who is this guy who cares about me wow. mm-hmm. when they shouldn't? Mm-hmm. That was the church. Yeah. When there was a pastor that I knew who I couldn't even get a conversation with, yet a pastor I didn't know checked on me every day. Who, and you, you just said, who is this guy that I don't know who cares about me? Um, isn't that Jesus? A hundred percent. He yeah. knew people before they knew him and he cared about them. And yeah, that's just amazing. There was nothing I could offer the guy, and he cared about me. Well, and I think, you know, it's that 
in the church, our value isn't what we can bring. Yeah, our value is based on what he did. Yeah. And so we don't, so there's an intrinsic value in the person sitting across the table that's not what our value is in this world. Because our value in this world is what do we bring to society? It's not, but in Christ, our value is what he did. It's Mm -hmm. so. So I think about, you know, um, right in the middle of all of them, my wife getting fired, the NDA, finding out that you know it was because of something that I had said that frustrated someone. That's why she got fired. You know, and then trying to say, hey, we we feel like there's some church discipline that needs to happen here, but I'm having to correct people that I love and people who seem to have power and authority over me. Um, I know I'm going to lose friendships over this. I, I still remember coming. Um, I had not been able to get a one-on-one conversation with the person. They refused to talk to me, so I was taking mm-hmm. witnesses as per Matthew 18 that day to say, please, let's talk about this. And I went to the BPPA, the Business mm-hmm. Professionals Prayer Association. It's a group that you run um, where it's just business professionals in our area that pray yeah. together. And if you're interested in, in you know, joining a group like that and you're in the Knoxville area, contact me. Contact Buck. We'll, we'll connect you. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's no dues. There's no bottom line. There's no anything there. But I don't get to come a lot because of my schedule and the day y'all meet. But I knew I needed support, and I came that morning. And I'll never forget y'all praying over me because, dude, I was in shambles. Yeah. I was about to have to do one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, going to correct someone that I love with witnesses of people that we all love each other, yet to say what you're doing yeah. is not okay. We need to have a conversation about it. And I knew that that was the day I was probably going to get kicked out of that church for the last time, mm-hmm. that they were not going to talk to me, but I was going to do God's way anyway. And I really, really hoped that I was wrong. Mm-hmm. I remember y'all praying over me, man. Mm-hmm. And... um you yeah. prayed over me, and it gave me, y'all prayed over me, you weren't against the church, you weren't just for me, you prayed over me, and it gave me the courage I needed, and I've, I've never told you this, I was so anxious that day, mm. I left from you guys, y'all prayed over me, and I left to go meet the witnesses mm-hmm. that I was going with, and we were going to pray, and make sure that nobody had malice in their hearts before we went, and I had so much anxiety. Yeah that I literally thought I was having a heart attack. I haven't told anybody this. I stopped at the gas station right across the street from where I was meeting those guys and went and got some Excedrin just because I was taking an aspirin going, I don't, if I'm going to die, I don't want to die while I'm having this witness conversation. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I literally felt like I was dying. That was how much pressure I was feeling, I don't think I would have made it that day with those guys. I would have called it off if it hadn't been for you guys praying over me that morning. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, so, and I, we never talked about it. You would never know what that yeah. meant. Some guys, and some men and women in that group that I'd never met before mm-hmm. because they, mm-hmm. they hadn't come when I was coming. And um, to me, that was the church. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time we went back to church. I was just honest with a friend, and you know, after being a pastor for decades, it, it feels so weird to say this. I was very honest with one of my closest friends. I said, I, I want no part of being in the church right now. I've like, I, I get sick when I think about going to the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I had a friend who loved me enough. He said, Jeff, I know you know this. You need the church. Yeah. And he said, I also understand what you're going through. Do me a favor. He said, I won't let anybody talk to you. I won't, any, won't let anybody try to talk you into serving. Mm-hmm. Um, he said, Come with me to my church. You don't have to join my church, but come mm. with me just this week 
We will sit with you. We will save you a spot. You can come in late. You can leave early. <laughs> we'll sit wherever you want to sit. We're going to yeah. get there 40 minutes early just to make sure that the spot you want to sit in is there. And they did. And they wow. protected us. And there were times where he would just look at me in the service and he'd say, are you okay? And I would say, I feel like I'm about to throw up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I'm about mm-hmm. to throw up. Mm-hmm. And he'd say that. One of the things that felt like the church to me most was when he would say, that's okay. We had a... Um we attempted to plant a church at one point and uh, we found out that um, the guy that was supposed to be our worship leader, he kind of started distancing, distancing himself. Well, we found out and we had become real close friends and we found out that uh, he was, had actually started taking people from the launch team to another church so they could be somewhere with uh, proper theology because he didn't like my theology, Uh, which uh, anyway, so, but, man, I didn't want to go to a church. I didn't want to step foot in a church. It was the hardest thing ever. And for years after that, when I went to a church, I'd want to sit in the back. I'd just want to hide. That's all I wanted to do. I mean, and even now, in what, that's been five, six, longer than that, probably almost 10 years ago. And But I'm like, when I go to a church, I just want to hide. And that's one of the reasons why. But to me... You know, while we attend a service and attend a building, to me, my church is is the group of of like minded people that I get to get together with, uh, and we do nothing but pray over each other and pray for each other, and and it's a, if you walked into it, it's like a support group. But it really but, is. But I can't, you know. So I'm not anti organization, but I still. I still am. <laughs> I still don't like it, you know, and uh, I still, I still hold people at arm's length. So I feel you, like, uh, and it's, uh, it, yeah. So it used to be the thing I was most passionate about, and you know, after going through that, it's, it's one of those things that I'm very tentative uh, about. With after that, so. Well, man, I'm just grateful for your your courage and your vulnerability to share mm-hmm. because you're a guy like I think it, people need to know this you're a guy who goes to church y'all go to church you serve in church you tithe in church you're you're you're, you're very involved mm-hmm. but for you to say I'm very involved and I love my church the church that I attend that the local mm-hmm. expression and gathering and I still struggle sometimes I still hold people at arm's length because of the hurt I've been through mm-hmm. there are some of you who you're watching and you're thinking the same thing. We just want you to know we're honest and we're vulnerable about those things to say, Hey, we do believe one day you'll find a great expression of the church. We want you to experience the real church at its best. Even if that's a group of people meeting in a house, right? At the same time, we're going to tell you it is scary and it hurts and it's not always easy. And you may years later, God be doing incredible things and still have to fight the urge to keep people at arm's length. And that's okay, uh, because when you get really, really hurt, you can't just ignore that. And so, so we love you, and we care about you right where you are. And I don't know if you're super comfortable hearing that. We love you. Whether you're comfortable with it or not, we love you. There are people who love you. And uh, wherever you're at, take it at your own pace. God loves you, and he'll walk with you at your own pace. Um, this is such a small thing, but one of my wife's best friends, um, they've you know kind of mentored each other, helped each other, you know, over the years and meet regularly. When my wife was at a job for two months, she was going stir crazy. 
because she felt like she lost her purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Her friend, who's a stay-at-home mom, Mm -hmm. fixed her schedule where she could go work out with my wife almost every day for two months. Wow. Not because she wanted to work out. They're not (laughs) normally gym buddies. She did it because I know my friend needs people. I know my friend needs support. I came home one day and, uh, our, our grill had gotten, you know, picked up in a storm and had just gotten busted like, you know, picked up off the concrete and, you know, messed up. So, uh, my family wanted me to grill steaks one night. I come home and it's her and her friend and they're putting together a grill. Ah, you just, Hey, you do, you do work. We know you're not done yet. We're putting together the grill. Her presence, my wife's friend's presence was just her being there was being the church. Um, we had, Another pastor friend who I did know really well, he knew what we were going through, and him and his wife invited us to their house. They weren't trying to get us to come to the church. They weren't trying to draft the free agents. Oh, Jeff's really talented. Him and Candace are talented and gifted, and we've worked with them before, and we want them in our church. It wasn't any of that. It was just, hey, come to our house. Eat with us. Let's have a conversation for three, four hours. We love you. Mm -hmm. We care about you. And we left. And they would have been totally fine if we never came to the church. Mm-hmm. They just wanted to love us. To, to mm-hmm. me, that was the real church. Yeah. And I'll never forget it. You know, um, because a lot of pastors, when they did talk to us, it did feel like it was a free agent signing. <laughs> they wanted to exploit our gifts. Oh, man, we can get this guy. He's worked in church for ages. He's really talented. We can get him to volunteer for free right now if we're just nice to him. You know? <laughs> it wasn't that. Those two pastors, the one that didn't know me mm-hmm. and the one that wasn't trying to get me to his church, man, they they stood out, mm-hmm. right? They stood out, and I have attended both of their churches, and we have given gifts to both of their churches, whether that's where we end up in or not long-term, mm-hmm. because they weren't trying to get us to their church. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and all your stories are these little, seemingly <clears throat> insignificant things. Yeah but there's such a big deal. And so I just want to encourage people that, that cause I'm sitting here being encouraged. Cause I'm like, Oh, you know, I've kind of done that for a friend. Oh, yeah. I've yeah. kind of done that. Oh, you know, and instead I'm of, over here, messy crying at one right. point because of how much it means to me. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. and just, but that the things that seem sometimes quite normal, cause when we are the church and that's who mm-hmm. our being is, then it's normal and natural for us to reach out to friends, to just be there, to sit, to say, do you want me just to come over and hang out with you? Cause you're going through a hard time, whatever it is. It seems so natural that we don't realize how significant it is. We don't we think don't, it's enough when it's all God yeah. wants from us. It's and, all our friends need. And we don't realize we're actually being the church. We go to a building who tells us that we need to serve and we need to do this and we should be doing that. And we keep go- we look that's, at our lives and go, growth track. Oh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> go to growth track to join our church. <laughs> and what is growth track? It's, it's separated yeah. by, I'm not, I'm not trying to be mean, but it's separated by weeks. Yeah. Growth track is, are you in a group? Uh-huh. Are you giving? Yeah. Have you found your purpose? But yes. your purpose somehow is always connected to what team you're serving on at our church. I just right? threw up in my mouth. Um, and again, yeah, growth track have... is not necessarily bad, but that, that's what we relegate it to. If you do these things, yes. you're a good Christian. And if you don't, you're not. Right. Um, mm-hmm. When sometimes all we need is you need to go to the gym with your friend because they don't have a job and help them put together a grill. Mm-hmm. Or you need mm-hmm. to check on someone you've never met because you saw they were having a hard time and the Holy Spirit put it yeah. on your mind. Or mm-hmm. you need to share your car or you just need to say, you know, um, had I had another friend and this is the story I'll end with. Um, there was a movie that I really wanted to watch. 
and my I couldn't take my kids to it because it's wildly inappropriate. <laughs> Rated R, wildly inappropriate. It was a comedy. It was way over the top. Um, and I couldn't ask any of my churchy friends because they would think I'm an absolute sinner. But we had just, we had been through hell. Man, we had, we had been through hell for a couple of weeks. And I needed to laugh mm-hmm. and I needed to not try to be holy for a minute. Right, and I'm not even sure that it was okay. None of it caused me to sin. Certain people would say, "Man, you probably shouldn't have watched that," you know. But just because mm-hmm. I hear someone cuss doesn't mean I'm going to cuss or anything else. But it was pretty raunchy. Um, but I need to laugh, and I wanted to watch this movie. I need to not be judged, so I just called a friend, and I said, "Hey," well, I texted him. I didn't call him because you know it's 2023, and I'm not a goober. <laughs> but um, I texted him, and I was just like, "Hey, do you want to go watch this this movie?" Mm-hmm. And I know it's kind of crazy. We go watch it. Yeah, and we went, and we watched the movie, and we cackle laughed and did not feel guilty at all, and then we sat afterwards, and it was just a simple question of, hey, how are you really doing? Mm-hmm. And I remember telling him that day, like, mm-hmm. I feel like I go from being a hero one moment to a villain the next, and today I feel like a villain in everybody's story. Mm-hmm. I feel like everybody thinks I peed in their Cheerios, <laughs> and they hate me. And I really like it when people like me and I hate it when they hate me and I feel Mm -hmm. completely isolated and like I should give up, but I'm not going Mm -hmm. to. And he just sat there with me. He's like, I'm so sorry. And he just listened. Um, And even more so than even him listening, which is probably the biggest thing, I will never forget him being there with a bucket of popcorn ready to watch this movie that I'm not even going to tell you the name of, (laughs) you know, because that's what I needed in the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that's being the church. And in mm-hmm. that moment, him being the church literally meant doing something that some people would judge and, mm-hmm. and say was sinful. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but we had a great time. It was what I needed. It lifted my spirits. And I was so grateful. So I, I think it's a great place to end. Mm-hmm. You guys have seen us. And I'm, I'm just looking right at the camera right now because I, I, I want to make eye contact with you as much as I can through this medium. You've seen me cry. You've seen these guys tear up. Um, none of this, like we're not actors. We don't make this happen. I don't like to cry in front of people. <laughs> but the reason why you've seen this is, hey, we, we said yeah. honesty is expected in this podcast. And when when we think about the the places we've seen, seen the real church show up, the greatest expressions of the real church in our lives, the only response is overwhelming emotion. There's There's no other response. And just like Abby said, Sometimes it is the smallest things. You may not be walking through fresh church hurt right now. Mm-hmm. You may not be walking through fresh spiritual abuse, but if you know someone who is hurting, or maybe you know someone who needs something and they're not even hurting over church hurt, if you feel a nudge to do something small, do that small thing and know it may be something, it may be a story that that person tells for the rest of their life because they'll experience Jesus through it. Nothing is too small when the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. nudges you. And if you're hurting and you're struggling, don't be scared to reach out to someone else. If your experience with the church has been full of abuse, full of hurt, and when you think about the church, all you can do is get angry. That's okay, and I understand. All I would ask is don't forget that the people of God, when they show up at their best, can be one of the most powerful things that you'll ever experience. So, even if you feel like you need to give up on the organization of the church, please don't give up on the body, on the people, because I believe God wants to send some people into your life 
who are going to love you in a way that just doesn't make sense. Like that pastor mm-hmm. who didn't know me, we had no relationship yeah. and he loved me. It didn't make sense, but it was the church. So um, do you guys have anything else before we, before we jump off? Anything else that you want to say to our listeners that regardless of where they're at, any, any message you want to share? It's okay if not. As much as it hurts, it's worth it. Sometimes, you know, like when, especially talking about the church, uh, some of my deepest pains, biggest hurts, biggest devaluing in my personal life have come through the organization of the church. But some of the most worthwhile, most beautiful stories have also come through the church. And it's when we open ourselves up uh, to be loved, we will be hurt. And when we... But also, uh, when we when we open ourselves up to be loved, we'll be loved, and that's where you know true love is found when we when we allow ourselves to be hurt. Yeah. It's on the backside of the hurt that it seems like we always find the beauty and the love. It's always on the backside of the hurt. Well, man, I think that's a great spot to end. And again, thank you guys so much for, it's not easy to be vulnerable. Like first podcast mm-hmm. in, and this may be one of the most vulnerable podcasts we've had. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of them, but I think this is up there. Um, so thank you guys for not taking it slow, for not trying to put on a good face, but for just being vulnerable. Cause I think it, it matters so much to the listeners. Um, mm-hmm. But Hey guys, we'll be back with another episode soon, but I, I just want to leave it this way. This may sound corny. It may sound cheesy. I'm going to do it anyway. Um, we just want you to know if nobody else has told you today, you're loved you're valued, you're cared for, and you have a place to belong. Um, if you don't have a place to belong, you have a place in the church disrupted community. If you say, Jeff, I can't afford to buy a membership to the church disrupted community, just man, message us on social media, reach out. We're going to connect you with some people. You'll have a place to belong. We just want you to know you're loved, you're valued, you're cared for. And no matter how bad your day's going, no matter how bad your church experience has been, God loves you way more than we could ever love you. And even Mm -hmm. if you don't believe it, that's the beauty of it. Even if you don't believe it, he is wild about you. God loves you more than you'll ever know. So, hey, we love you. We're praying for you. And we can't wait to see you on the next episode of Church Disrupted.